You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Before we begin, Crying Wolves, the second single from Sunstroke's new three-song digital series out on streaming December 8th. The physical 7th, 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 7-inch lathe, 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 (laughs) will be available in February. The release features artwork from Joey's World. everybody thanksgiving you know what it is if you've been here before basically we like to give you a little sampler uh of uh friends associates maybe people who wish they weren't associated but just are uh it's a kind of us i guess giving back in whatever capacity just passing it along uh trying to get you familiar with other uh podcasts uh let's get right into it uh, let's see. To start, oh, we'll do uh, worst possible timeline to start. This is uh, uh, my podcast with Eric Wilson, typically talking about uh, matters of the day, news stuff. Uh, it gets a little hot, takey, uh, but uh, probably nothing that you can't handle. The recording in progress. So, what? What's your? You, so, first of all, before we before we really get into it. We are worst possible timeline. We're doing a little thing for on um, axe to grind. I, I assume that this this concept was set up and explained 
uh, so we don't really have to explain to you what's happening. But uh, this is a podcast with me, Eric Wilson, and... Oh, Patrick Kindlin, how are you? The, this, the, the other guy, one of the guys on Axe to Grind, right? So this is our other, this is his other podcast. And, uh, you know, what we do, if you don't listen to it, uh, you've, if, you've been, if you're a longtime listener of Axe to Grind, you've heard us probably on last year's episode of, of last year's Thanksgiving episode. Um, thank you to them for giving us a, a moment to shine and to perhaps uh, recruit some new uh, army members here uh, and join us on, in, in, in the good fight. Um, this is going to be a sampling of what we usually do on the episode, uh, on, on the show. Sometimes it's what's going on in the news. Sometimes it's what's bothering us. Sometimes it's our personal problems. I have a feeling this is going to be a personal problems moment because Patrick is going to explain what's happening at this moment in his life right now. That's accurate. And, uh, for our listeners, usually our audio quality is impeccable. However, I am at the uh, Baymont Inn of Anderson, uh, California, uh, which is meth country. And I am on uh, my AirPods. Uh, this is a bootleg episode uh, of Worst Possible Timeline. Uh, you, you bought this one down at Chinatown along with uh, a katana and, and an airsoft rifle. Uh, because that's pretty good. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good day at uh, Canal Street. <laughs> it's a really good day. Do they, do they sell that shit anymore? No, it's it's a, Canal Street's a shadow of what it once was. If I can't get shirkins, it's not worth shit. Not worth shit, really. Now I think you just you you walk up to someone and they 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 or as you're walking down, someone will go, "Beg, watch." You like watch, and then and then you go, "Huh?" And then you like you, you, you like watch, and then you go, "Uh, yeah, sure." And then they lead you down like a staircase, and then they they pull out their whole little vendor thing. It used to just be right on the street. Now I don't think there's much of that anymore. Uh, hold on one second. I'm getting a, a phone call. This is how awkward this is. Hold on. Um, okay. Oh my God. Yo, this is the most bootleg episode ever. And I'm getting agitated. Eric touring is an awful experience that I would wish on no one. So why can't you be on your laptop in the room with the good Wi-Fi, with the what? What? Why do you have to uh, do this from your phone in the pool area? Because I've got nine dudes in a fucking hotel room. It's like a gay orgy every fucking night. It's just not it, it, every night we're sneaking seven dudes into a fucking hotel room. It is. This is what you do when you try to save a few hundred bucks. It is the most broke mentality. Uh, if I were smart, I'd be faking it until I make it, uh, just get four hotel rooms. Fuck it. Uh, but instead, uh, we're sneaking dudes in every night. And as a result, there is no quiet. And this is highly, highly agitating. And listen, if you are the partner, boyfriend or girlfriend of somebody on the road, please, I've seen it too many times up close. You have to understand that there is zero privacy. It is a submarine. Like I'm starting to lose my fucking mind because there's never a moment where a dude is not sitting on my dick. Like just every moment. Eric, imagine for a second, we've been roommates. Did you feel like you had zero privacy? No, not, not even. I, I, 
often had very much privacy. Do you know what it's like to have zero privacy? Uh, the moments that I've had absolute zero privacy were probably uh, very short-lived. Like, could you imagine living at home, but your dad watches you shower? <laughs> that, would, that would suck. That's what it's like. So are, are, things, are, are, are things so dire that, that uh, Drug Church and, and Citizen and the other bands whose name escapes me, the, the, are things so dire that you can't spring for two hotel rooms? No, there's always some cheap fuck in every band that's like, that does the math. And at the end of it, they're like, I could make an additional $180 if I just slept in a garbage pit every night. And like they do this janky idiot math, four person math, where they think it makes it's a benefit to them to like, okay, think about this. A hotel room is, let's say, $89. Uh, <clears throat> split to seven ways. What does that even amount to? Who gives a shit? But there's always some cheap fuck. If we were doing full episodes tonight, I might go get my own hotel room. But as it is, I am hanging out at the pool of the Baymont Holiday Inn of Anderson, California. It, it can't be. I can't imagine that the that the uh, the rooms are are terribly expensive. Um, it it and don't you see? But here's the thing: you strike me as the guy that would be the thrifty one, right? Like that. That no, seems no, because it, no, because now. It, to fucking put this on it on other people because then they people start resenting you and shit i got two jobs i don't even the band the money i'm just going to take it directly to vegas and put on black you know what i mean i don't give a shit so like i got two jobs that i do from the road i'm not saying it's not nicer to make money than not make money but for the two hotel rooms but we just got too many cheap folks around here Right. Too many, too many cheap folks. Okay. Um, why, what, what made you choose the pool area? You know what? Now I'm looking up and I'm seeing the, uh, I'm seeing the workout space that probably would have been better acoustics. Uh, but it was just the only place that there's any goddamn privacy. Nobody uses the pool at, at hotels. Occasionally you'll see like a fat woman and her child, but that's it. Like you never see Nobody, there's never like a pool party going on in the pool. I, this is where I have most of my conversations on the road. I feel like it's a very boomer thing to like, I feel like any time I've ever done traveling with my family, uh, my dad, it's always been like, we got to get a hotel that has a nice pool. And I'm like, dad, I don't want to fucking hang out at the hotel <laughs> with a nice pool. We're only going to be there for a day. He's like, no, no. Correct. And every, every time my dad would book a hotel room, he'd be like, it's got a good pool. And I'm like, ah, I don't care. It's, it's fucking, it's all dysentery. It's not just that. It's like, what am I going to show off my hot bod at the fucking hotel pool? Like, what is this? Is this revenge of the nerds too? You know what I mean? Like, what are we thinking? Who gives a shit? Yeah. Especially now, especially like, the in 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 the in the age of 2021 and the times that we exist in like no one wants to be near each other for a multitude of reasons whether it's covid shit or whether it's political shit or just like i feel like any time uh a potential conversation uh it becomes uh like like crosses into your world it's just like uh, uh no no like you don't want to strike up a conversation with the fucking guy at the pool 
Uh, no, I certainly do not. I don't really want to strike up a conversation with anybody. I, I feel very damaged, not from COVID, but from like maybe my last few years where the only person that would talk to you in public is mentally ill. And I'm sorry to our mentally ill listeners. I know enough of you. I, like, I don't need the, the, the arc is full. My, Patrick's, Patrick's arc is full of mentally ill people. And I got the space for no more. So the chatting with me about inane bullshit, it means that you're not killing it. And I don't need you. Yeah, it's it's the um, the mental illness is. Uh, I mean, we so we live in 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 when you're not on tour in an, in an insane asylum. Essentially, it's it's kind of like. Uh, Do you ever play any of the the Arkham Batman games? Yeah, it's that. It, it's Arkham City. We live in Arkham City. It's I, I walk down the street sometimes, and I think I am the only person right now of sound mind now to for those that aren't regular listen listeners we live very close to hollywood boulevard so you know it's not really uh it's it's not necessarily indicative of the common man uh but perhaps the the common street person but i would even i'd venture to say that even the common man there's just like Anytime you find yourself striking up a conversation with a, a, a stranger, like, you know, you get the vibe. You feel you're in for something. You know what I mean? The exercise room is temporarily closed. See? Yo, I say California is the wackest collection of fucking losers in the United States. Bar none. Our rules here are today. I walked into my favorite health food store at the base of Mount Shasta. I look forward to it on tour. It's got all sorts of good little, like hot bar style foods. Like, and then you got your, yeah, your, your pre made burritos and shit like that. And look forward to it. And today, because of COVID, I go in and there is goddamn like cleaning supplies stacked in front of the deli area and i swear to god you know how your skin crawls when something makes you uncomfortable my skin leapt like it my skin like like it jumped off of my back because i was so grossed out by there was 50 people shopping in the store are we speculating that if we allowed them to sit down and have a sandwich that we would somehow spread covid more oh here's one for you the other day I played Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. In that space, there is a rule that there has to be a chair for every human being at the venue. So it created this fire hazard that was so insane that it, it looked like it wasn't policy failure. It was like policy, policy decimation. It was so stupid. And it made, I seriously, I joined a militia the second I left. I I, ser- I ha- am now t- fully radicalized. I think we have to smash the state. Everybody in the sound of my voice should stop paying taxes immediately. And <clears throat> if law enforcement pulls you over, you should run them over. So what, what do we th- what do we think that is? So that that's a state or city mandated policy that there has to be a chair for every person that attends. <clears throat> uh, what 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 purpose is that? Do we think? The British Columbia equivalent of AOC uh, is steering policy 
to where it, it is, there is no purpose except to say that you made a policy on something. Oh, well, we addressed that. No, you didn't address it in any meaningful way. All you did was create a fire hazard. I heard from somebody that it's a new COVID rule. And then I heard from somebody else that it's an accessibility uh, rule. Both of those are profoundly stupid because all they did was create a fire hazard and make it so people couldn't enjoy themselves to the degree that they'd like to. There were still 400 people in the room, whether or not they're in chairs or not, who gives a fuck? It was so irritating. It was like everything that you would hate about policy, like pointless, encumbering, uh, uh, thoughtless. You know what I mean? And it was just, I, I left and I immediately got an AR style weapon and a, and camouflage outfit. And I started just marching around my neighborhood. You know, you know what we should get, honestly, whenever you, if you're ever back for a long, we should get ghillie suits. I thought about this. I thought about this. <laughs> we should get this fucking ghillie suits. It's they're so cool. All right. Next up we got, I'm not actually a gas station attendant. <laughs> Rich Miles is part of this one. Uh, a fellow that's been around for a long time. Uh, it, I could list off the bands that he was in, but instead I'm just going to tell you that this podcast uh, focuses on 90s stuff. But yeah, so we we made friends, some people an hour north two of us uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they booked us well, no, we just kind of hopped on. Our friend Jason in Grand Rapids told us, hey, we're uh, naked uh, aggression is playing Saturday night. Why don't you come out and you can hop on the show? And we were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we showed up, borrowed people's equipment. And uh, and, it, and it should be said that Grand Rapids is a little different than Kalamazoo, oh, yeah. as far as I mean, we, we don't need to go to the whole history of it, like because but Grand Rapids was, uh, yeah, kind of a crust punk town, <laughs> and uh, we didn't care, we just wanted to play. And I think our whole goal we didn't give a shit about how we sounded, we didn't give a shit about anything, it was just like go nuts. And we, we, we kind of like you know. Read the room, as it were. We were like, yeah. well, this is not going to be one of those shows where we're going to hand out the lyrics printed no. on Xerox paper. We're just going to fucking... We're, we brought the show to the show. <laughs> <laughs> to, I think that's a Wayne Kramer quote. <laughs> so, but, so yeah, it was it was Naked Aggression, Us, already Hell, a weird pairing as it is. Hellbender kind of hopped on, too. Hellbender popped on at the very end which was even weirder, but actually kind of went along with like us. It was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But then it was yeah. like another just super crusty band. Mm -hmm. And then, drum roll please, a Christian oh, yeah. metal band, I guess. Bones of Adam. Bones of Adam, yeah. which they were the most out of place and we're not, nobody's sure how they got on there, but they did. <laughs> I and think they provided the PA. <laughs> the, well, there you go. And and they also provided a TV with nothing but static on it, which the singer would menacingly sit on. And they also brought along their own cheering section, which was two dudes. One dude had a floor-length black duster with a cross, I believe, drawn in chalk on the back of it. And then another 
shaved head, uh, a little rounder gentleman in, in overalls. There was also, I think, a young girl that was there, young lady. Uh, she was so, wearing one of those Harley Davidson shirts with lightning all over print. <laughs> so, so, you know, obviously that they came up and they like announced it, it was very clear that they were, you know, the Christian metal band at the show. And everybody's like, mm-hmm. nope. And but except for the three people who were very excited to see them as they were each song, they would sort of pray mosh. <laughs> while they played and everybody just stood back and was just like what is going on well We're, the best you know. part i remember is the singer like i was in, i was like this has got to be a joke this is right. not a christian metal band <laughs> and then in between songs like the guy gives a you know like starts talking about the liberal media and and how jesus christ is our savior and some punk way in the back yells Jesus can suck my ass. To which the singer's like, yeah, well, he put nails through his wrist for you, buddy. <laughs> which, you know. <laughs> One, two, burn. three, four. <laughs> yeah, it, that's what happened. Yeah. So, I don't, yeah, I don't remember. There was, it was just a weird, and we, like I said, we borrowed people's equipment, which was very disrespectful in the way that we acted. Yeah. So, so we get on stage, and I think within a half a song, we we opened with we opened with thanks for the candy. Yeah. And at the end, I'm like, as it's dead, 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 dead. I'm like running backwards, not watching where I'm going. I (laughs) I think I somehow or another, my foot got caught up in the cord (laughs) on on Chris's amp head, which. I don't know if it was even his amp head. I don't know, if, like. No, no, no. My 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 dude runs across the stage and takes my drum set. Yeah. And take and then takes the head that I believe Chris was borrowing, <laughs> off the fucking stage and everything just he just it's like you know he's kind of like the Sandman just sweeping everything away and we're like I'm just sitting there with half a drum set going oh and Rich is just laying in a pile of gear and like. Didn't someone say something? <laughs> yeah, somebody's like, all right, now it's a show. Like, they were fucking stoked. And yeah. we're like, okay, pardon us while we reset all of our crappy <laughs> so, equipment back up. So five minutes later. <laughs> yeah, right. Five minutes later, we set everything back up, and then the next song starts. And, you know, keep in mind, p- people were, like, circle pitting while we're playing people were too. very drunk they were very drunk and very excited that somebody was playing kind of fast and weren't a christian metal band <laughs> so they're running around in circles there's a it was a black and white checkered floor tile floor and they're just spilling tons of beer all over the floor and at some point <laughs> at some point rich is playing and i watch him like again back off the stage he's like looking at us while he's playing and <laughs> There's people just running in circles and he's trying to play and he's like Flintstone running in place. Like he's just trying not to fall. In mall because, liquor. Yeah. In, <laughs> in mall liquor while playing. And we're just like, what the fuck is happening? Like it, it was yeah. not, it wasn't bad. It was just insane. Yeah. And it, I don't think it got any better from there. It just was just constant. Just at I, one point, at one point, and I don't think we played a very long set. It might have been five or ten minutes of actual music. <laughs> um, but like at one point, some man off the street, like 
uh, to put it delicately, a hobo. Um, <laughs> he 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 had a um, one of those mouth harps and was jamming with us while we played. <laughs> this was pre. This was pre the harmonica from the second seven inch. Keep in mind, to you, yeah, people keeping yeah, the score even out there. I don't know if we had a horn yet. So yeah, so the Promise <laughs> Ring also played the show, and we were True to always borrowing shit. True to fashion. Hey yeah. man, good set. Can I borrow, Can your, I borrow your snare? And he had a Ludwig. Uh, I can't remember. It's a silver one of those like fiberglass nice ones. Snare, yeah. It was a nice Ludwig snare, but and it had probably the original strings that were actually holding the snare onto the drum on there and he he was a tippity tap tapper and i was clearly not so i was whacking the shit out of it while we were playing <laughs> and the strings gave out and broke so i long story short i broke the drummer of the promise ring snare and he was yeah. sort of kind of graceful graceful about it maybe you know he's he like, yeah, like these things happen yeah. yeah and it's like they're from well, wisconsin you know i think nice, you only nicer there you only broke one of the strings, though, right? Well, it, it was it was the string that holds the snare on, though. So, like, that's kind of a it's kind of you know. I mean, you can use a fucking shoestring to fix it. It's not that bad if you're a bit you know savvy. But I, I do understand that is very annoying, and I I felt really bad. And <laughs> but but it's it's part of our legacy for it's sure. By, yeah, destroying other people's equipment. <laughs> yeah, after we, we always, just talked about after we just talked about I wanted to be really careful with it. These other yeah. people were like, yeah, fuck the promise ring. Whack, you know. I was always, yeah, I mean, we were always very sorry and always didn't have the money to, <laughs> we to were pay always for repairs. Sorry. Yes, you got to understand how sorry I am for breaking the thing that you're about to use to play your set. I'm really sorry, but uh, yeah, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, so it, it was, it was, it was embarrassing. I'm not saying I'm like, fuck yeah, ha ha. I wasn't. <laughs> So we're in the middle of nowhere, which is most of Indiana anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and absolute, absolute offense meant, by the way. Um, and uh, the van broke down. Long story short, uh, Chris's van, which was a white van with a big red square on the side of it for some reason, <laughs> broke down. Uh, we could not figure it out, figure out what the problem was. Thankfully, gearhead Sean Barney of the deconstruction was with us and he kind of knew what to do so since we had the caravan rolling they could go get parts while we waited and this was was it on a i want to say it was on a sunday it was on it was not a weird day it was on a friday night it might have okay. been yeah it was on a friday night because yeah uh, i'll tell my side of the story when, so yeah. it was it was like oh shit i hope something is open because it's it's a weird day or whatever. So mm-hmm. anyway, it was just later in the afternoon. I'm sure. So they take off in in I think Craig's car from Jihad. So again, we're nowhere near an exit. We're nowhere near anything, and so we're just sitting there. And we're kind of bored, and we've got the van, and um, as if by magic, a, a traffic jam just happened, <laughs> which happens a lot in Indiana actually, because they're yeah. forever fixing the fucking roads. And it's never fixed. So this yeah. magic traffic jam just pops up and it's at a st- absolute standstill in the middle of nowhere again. 
So for, for some reason, we're like, all right, let's give these people a show. So we took some drums out. We took some horns out, which I believe Joe had like a, a couple horns at this point. So, yeah. that, so we had a whole, we almost had a ska band going on. But instead of like, you know, playing anything, we just gave them kind of a tribal sort of real low rent crash worship kind of set, you know, and just pounded on stuff, Listen I believe. Wasn't believe, it in the divider on the highway? Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, we were stuck in a very wide median between, you know, <laughs> the north and south, east and west roads, whatever. Um, so there's plenty of room for us to be in the middle of this road. Sorry about that. So we're doing this. I believe I gave up the, my sticks and drum to someone else so I could do karate kicks. <laughs> so... I, <laughs> So I was like, you know, kind of doing my best crane kicks, karate kid style, you know, at the, at the traffic. Um, someone threw us a beer. They're like, hey, good good set, y'all. Here's a beer, which um, I believe, I, I think like Josh grabbed it, uh, yeah. Josh from Jihad, and then Derek immediately dad banned it. It's like, no, you can't have that. You know, I'm the adult here. No, which was really <laughs> funny. And then the traffic just dissipated. It, as, as soon as it... Uh, appeared it disappeared and so we packed everything back up and we we're bored again so there, there just happened to be a ball in the median a red ball and so we're like, well i'm gonna get this ball and and we're gonna play stickball in the middle of a median in the middle of nowhere in indiana yes, in the middle seems, of rural indiana this yes. seems like a great idea so we just start just batting this ball around like throw it i'll hit it and then you catch it and something will happen and that was our entertainment and because we did not know, no cell phones, no nothing. We didn't know when they were coming back with the uh, magic part that would fix the van. And then suddenly a ambulance comes screaming up, <laughs> just, just jams into the fucking median. You know, this, it's a grass median. There's no curbs. They just, boom, just like roll in there, jump out in full emergency style and they're like who's hurt and we're just like again like i'm holding like uh one of those like thin balsa wood things that they use to like staple flyers to you know as a, as a bat and i'm like what <laughs> and they're like who's hurt who's injured and we're like nope nope we're just playing stickball our vans broke down we're just waiting and they're like okay and they just and then take off and we're like what the hell just happened that's the weirdest thing so maybe five ten minutes later uh, just battalion of cops. I'm not shooting. Just like four or five cops just roll in. They they got the fucking canine car with the window down halfway and the dog pissed and just like, and they they like hands on guns. They didn't have them out, but they had hands on guns. Got out of their cars and they're like everybody against the fucking van and they were like pissed. They were ready to go, and so. <laughs> We're just like, you know, drop the stick, drop the ball. We just kind of back up against the van. And they're like, we got reports that there was a gang fight out here. <laughs> a gang fight in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. Okay. Cover the cover lovers. Uh, it's a podcast discussing the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to covering a song. Uh, in this clip, uh, they talked to Jerry Windus, lead singer of Long Island's very own Standstill, about Looking for Love by Neil Young and covered by, oh, Jesus, <laughs> by Andrew Jackson Jihad. So let's actually just jump into that. Um, 
So we're listening to Looking for a Love by Neil Young and Crazy Horse on Zoom. Let's listen. I've been looking for a lover, but I haven't met her yet. She'll be nothing like I pictured her to be. In her eyes I will discover another reason why I want to live in of what I see Where the sun hits the water And the mountains meet the sand There's a beach that I walk along sometimes And maybe there I'll meet her And we'll start to say hello And never stop to think of any other time Yeah, so I mean, right off the bat, when 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 it when it starts, it's like these kind of weird, like almost like circusy, like guitar leads, um, you know, and just like really, I mean, like the whole record, like Zuma, like the whole record is like almost lo-fi in its in its recording quality, and like the guitar tones are like very, you know, you could tell that it's like very baseline, like overdriven guitar tones, and uh, you know, very minimal production. Um, but it also like has like beautiful vocal harmonies. Um, and you know, Neil Young's classic timbre, which is like, you know, unmistakable. Um, so I, it's, it's one of those things where it's like the, the, the lyrics of the song don't necessarily like, I think maybe match the way that the song is performed in terms of just like you know, general vibe, emotion, like the way that it's being presented. Um, but, you know, it it is like in terms of like Neil Young songs, I think one of the most like heartfelt and, you know, makes me feel the most, um, even if it's, uh, you know, actual performance is a little lopsided. I think that's what gives it character. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think... I mean, just in general, the lopsided performance is something that's characteristic of Neil Young. And I think in certain songs, you know, I think of maybe just, you know, sometimes like, you know, I think about uh, Needle and the Damage Done and After the Gold Rush. Those are a lot more produced albums. This is definitely more stripped down. And I feel like Neil Young, at least in my limited knowledge opinion, is an artist who is able to do looser albums like this or on the beach, for example, and be successful at that. I personally think he shines a little bit more when he's a little bit more produced by others, uh, which is probably the thing that Neil Young himself would probably say is the least enjoyable thing. If I can imagine anything like what he actually is, but 
on this the the vocals were very bouncy it was very up and down the song almost you know kind of speaking to your circus point there were times where i felt as if the song was like a carousel it would slowly escalate up to just escalate back down and it, it was it was peculiar like the the tone of neil young's voice was not almost uncertain at times like he was trying out different things and seeing what worked and what didn't work and it was a really like you said uh lopsided performance and and that's not taking away anything because it is a, an amazing song but it's just very much like maybe it's not fair to do this but to hold that to hold looking for a love to the high standards of some of his classics i mean it falls short honestly yeah i agree um i think that like his crazy horse stuff and and Zuma specifically is like definitely a, a black sheep in his discography. Um, and I feel like that's why people don't necessarily cite it very often when they're talking about like Neil Young's like best art. Um, but I do think that in its own right, it is um, like one of his more like, um, I guess you could say like animated records you know like where you can really like you can really tell that this was like you know him like this was every ounce of you know like there there was no veil you know there was nothing to there were no there was no like production tricks there was no like instrumentation to hide like like uh you know any faults or you know mistakes or inconsistencies like it's organic and that's what i think the appeal of the album is so and especially this song in particular because like even though the like i said even though like there are some holes in the performance and the vocals like there are plenty of high points also and i think that it's enough to 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 hold water so oh absolutely absolutely i think some of the high points include as you had mentioned before but i just kind of want to reinforce the backups and the vocal harmonies are spectacular they they truly truly are the fact that Neil Young's voice is wavering so much and is, you know, kind of tiptoeing between keys and somehow the backup vocals and the support vocals mirror that and, and make it sound full and rich is just an amazing thing to do and an amazing quality. Honestly, I think if there's a qualm that I had, there would probably be twofold. I felt as if, and maybe this is just my own spoiled personality, I felt like it was a bit too long. But I think the biggest takeaway that really was a deterrent for the song is that it's a song that could have used a nice, neat bow on top, and they instead they opt to fade out. And I think that was really, I don't know why that was so bothersome to me, but it was something that I really didn't like. Because it's not yeah. even like it fades out into the next track, it just fades out. True. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like that was a big thing in the 70s, just like fade outs were were something that a lot of bands utilized when they couldn't figure out how to finish a song. Um, I do like about that fade out. I like how he goes into those like high, like falsetto parts. Like as it starts to get quieter, you almost don't hear it, but you hear him at the very end, just like when she's touched to see. And it's like, it's cool. You can tell he was having fun, you know? So. That's true. That's true. Um, so basically uh, the crazy horse on Zuma, just for a little bit of history and background is a different crazy horse than say something like uh the crazy horse that was on on, on the beach 
Um, they had taken a hiatus in 1971 due to the death of Danny Witten, and ultimately this is their second incarnation. Both incarnations included uh, Nils Lofgren, multi-instrumentalist most notably known for being in the E Street Band besides this. Um, you know, just a little interesting tidbit of information. Uh, the truth is that this is a, an amazing track on Zuma, but the track on Zuma is Cortez the Killer. I mean, that it's, it's a, an amazing track. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 very good, and in the ways that I feel like I might take fault with some of the things in this track, I think really the loose quality is really emphasized on Cortez the Killer, um, and is it makes it a very good standout track. Definitely, I also really like the opener. Uh, Don't cry, no tears. Uh, mm-hmm. It's you know one one of those songs that maybe isn't very passable um, in like today's you know, by today's standards, uh, it is a little bit, it, it's a little harsh, but I mean, it's also, again, one of those moments that you don't really see happen a lot. Like Neil Young is thought of like this very, I mean, you know, not that it's like a bad, you know, not that it has like a really bad message or anything, but it's just like, don't cry no tears around me, yo. Like the fuck, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it, it's, it's, it's also another one of those songs where it's like, you really hear me like the, the, the shakiness in his voice and the inconsistency, but it's like, it almost adds to just like the, the edge, you know, or like the angst. So. For sure. For sure. So kind of in the spirit of that question, and given that Cortez is obviously the most well-known track on this album, but don't cry, no tears and looking for a love seem to be hold a special place for you. Is there another album where you enjoy a song of your choosing? more than the one that is maybe most celebrated or released as singles or anything of that nature? Like specifically by Neil Young or? No, by any other artist. Uh, yeah, plenty. Um, is there one I that mean, comes to mind? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, if I think about it really, really, really hard, um, I think that okay like um i guess just like a like a example that just comes to mind first um like thinking about like uh crime and stereo is dead um you know a lot of people think about small skeletal um i think that's like really like the the big song on that record um but i mean like I really enjoy um on the, the title's escaping me right now. Um but Animal Farm is like I mean the hook on that song is incredible. Like really like something <laughs> something that uh is 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 rare in in records like that. All right, next up, uh, we got Scoped Exposure, uh, and uh, the guest on this one is uh, Martine from Terror. I think a lot of you probably enjoy uh, this one. Speaking of the the Calgary Terror set that that I filmed, um, you know, I <laughs> this is pulling the curtain back a little bit. When I, I when I emailed Martine, I was like. 
okay, I can either make this very like business professional and be like, Hey, like this is my podcast, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes I like to roll the dice and, and spice it up and, and throw a little curveball here and there. So I was like, Hey man, like, do you want to come to my podcast and talk about your signature? And I linked, <laughs> I linked the to like that moment in the set uh, yeah. when you do that. And, and it's, it's funny. Cause like, like again, going back through all the terror sets that I filmed that weekend, like same spot it's on point, same spot every time, every time. <laughs> and like even listening it's, to like uh, like it or not today, like I didn't know that you have a song that is pretty much that line. So you know, th- this is, yeah, we're gonna get a little s- silly, but like, how did you, how did that become your signature like non-word <laughs> like phrase that you I, would utter? Well, I mean. I did. I stole it. I mean, it just comes from, well, okay. So, so I, there's, there's a, there's a YouTube video on this of like a compilation of all of Tom G warrior from Celtic frost. Like he's always known for the, he does a lot of, I don't even know what you would call those things. Like, I guess like little accents or whatever of like sure. ooze and, Oh, and all those kind of stuff. And he always had some amazing ones. And then, so he had some that kind of sounded like how I do the the one that I'll do. Um, But there's another band. uh, There's this uh, black metal band called Ergahol and they have one. It's like, it's like, you can tell that they were paying homage to Tom G warrior. So then on their album, he, he does one that's like really, over the top and aggressive and then he brings them back like that's a tanji warrior thing too it's like you do the ooh and then you said i said ooh like in case you didn't hear it the first time so for those in the back i said yeah 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 yeah. so i might be wrong but i'm pretty sure it was like celtic frost originators and then but Mm. then i was mimicking ergahol mimicking celtic frost yeah and so yeah no it just has yeah it just feels good it's sometimes it just feels right and you're just like yeah you gotta do it there yeah like (laughs) i i feel like most um you know because you know you're you're doing like backup vocals but you can you know throw your own like little spin for for terror stuff but i i think most you know people it, it is a weird it is a weird thing in 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 the scene where like some people like gravitate towards like the really short like staccato like ooh like something like that. Yeah. Like a little bit more like gorilla monkey esque. <laughs> or there's people that yeah. like, you know, like rest in peace Riley from Power Trip had le- like the legendary just like ow, just like like yeah, kill yeah. that. And some people is like like this dips more into like the metalcore space, but even just like the blaze and like there there's it's it's a fine line of like adding that into the music without it being like we're relying on that to make this part sick <laughs> if that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah no totally i mean it's it's definitely it's a it's a funny thing because you can d- break it down and deconstruct it all because <laughs> there's so many di- there's so many different versions of it in different styles of music but they're all essentially bringing forth the same effect like mm. it, it's all there for the same reason and it's like just that emphasis and it it's crazy how much how much cooler a part can be just by adding that dumb little thing in there, you know <laughs> and like everyone has their own way of doing it and right. just the go a go in general man oh it's like that can that's like the icing on a cake it can just like really fire someone up yeah especially like in a 
in a live setting, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It's a, I think like (laughs) adding those into the actual recordings is like a a serious, like power move, like to have a go or pick it up or like bust it. Like, come on is a good one too. I always like when people say, come on, Mm. but busted. It's like busted. It's just classic. It's like, (laughs) it's perfect. It really is. A good busted is perfect. Yeah. Do you think that there's any (laughs) um, overused or uh, overrated ones? No, I, I love, I welcome them all. I think people should do more. Sure. Do more and keep it up, come up with some new ones and see if they, see if they stick. Mm. Well, well, maybe yeah, a better I'm question okay. is what's the dumbest kind of like, the dumbest. like kind of uh, call out or, or something like that, either in a live setting or you've heard on a record. Oh man, that's a good question. Um, shoot. Oh man, I don't know. I, I, nothing, nothing comes to mind, but I, I, this is one of those things where like, I'm going to be like, Oh, I don't know. And then it's going to hit me like tomorrow. I'm going to be like, Oh wait, there's this one that's so stupid. Yeah. um, I'll share one and maybe that'll like a trigger one that comes to mind. Um, you know, you, you clearly know the stepping stone guys from up here. I remember when they played the, the Calgary fest that I played a show with them the day before they drove out and Nathan was playing baseball out in like the parking lot and took a baseball to the face. And like, he doesn't have oh. teeth here anymore. Oh, so like a nightmare of mine. <laughs> so <laughs> when uh, they played Calgary, there's like this, like, you know, kind of like lead up part into a breakdown and Luke, their singer like points and says, I want everyone to look like fucking Nathan. And he just like, just smiles with this big, big gap. <laughs> in his teeth <laughs> oh my god and that has that's, just stuck with me forever <laughs> that's a dangerous re- request you just yeah. want everyone to get their teeth knocked in oh my god i mean i'm not <laughs> i would have just ran to the back at that point yeah like, no nah, hell no i'm not i'm not trying to get my teeth knocked <laughs> i have a dentist appointment tomorrow i don't want to disappoint yeah. anyone <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a, that's a good one. That's mm-hmm. definitely a good one. <laughs> yeah. 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 There, there's been some wild, wild ones that, have that just seem to come up in the moment, but I, I like the attitude where it's like, no, like, let's just bring it all in. Like the, you know, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's very few limitations or rules of, 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 uh, what's sick and what's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, you're, yeah. You're yeah. correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, since we're on the topic of like vocals and, and whatnot, um, I saw in your discogs that you did a guest vocal spot in a winds of plague song. Oh yeah. Two, two songs actually. Oh, two which songs. Is crazy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Two, uh, one on, yeah. Two different albums, two songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause I was like kind of perusing through there. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like the latest backtrack release, like that makes sense. And then winds of plague just seemed like kind of out of nowhere for me. So I was kind of curious on the, uh, on the why behind that one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, those guys have just kind of been around for, for a long time, you know, like going to shows and stuff like that. And, um, we ended up touring together, terror and winds of plague. I think more than once I, I, we went to Japan together. I can't remember if, uh, the, I can't remember which came first, the vocals or the, or the tour, but, uh, yeah, we did Japan together. We U S together and, um, and yeah, they just hit me up one time. They were recording with Matt Hyde 
<clears throat> he was like a legendary producer recorder guy mm-hmm. and uh just told me to come through the studio and like they had this idea and and that was it just kind of happened yeah i went to the studio and they're like hey we got this idea we want to do this track <laughs> I, th- I feel like they described it like as almost like a, a rap a rap track or something <laughs> like that where that's the that's the vibe they wanted like sure. you know a west west coast kind of thing and uh so <clears throat> We like wrote some lyrics there in the studio and just kind of went for it and then ended up filming a video for it also. Oh, really? So I, yeah. Oh, you know what, man? I, I, it's hard to remember. That might've been the second one that I did. I think the first one, the first one was, yeah, we were on tour and, and I was like emailing with them and they were like, here's the song, write some stuff. And I wrote something. And then Nick Jet, our drummer of terror, always used to, well, he always brings his studio with him, like a mobile studio, sure. just his laptop and some mics, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so we recorded it in the backstage of some venue in, in the <laughs> middle of nowhere or whatever. And uh, that wound up on that record. Yeah. And then the second one was like in the studio with them and there's a video for it. Mm. I, it I feel like it's called California. Maybe it was like a, I know that's, I know the word California said a lot in this song, but <laughs> I can't remember that that's what it was called. Yeah. But yeah, so they played a show. They played a show at this venue, Chain Reaction, and um, yeah. they had like a whole full professional camera crew that filmed the show and played the song a bunch of times. And then we did like different stuff, like just, mm. you know, like a typical music video. Yeah. Singing at the camera, all that kind of <laughs> dumb stuff. <laughs> it was, you know, it was fun. It was, it was like kind of like, uh, it's a little goofy, you know, but I was aware, you know, sure. it's like, yeah, it was, it was, it was the way it was on purpose. It was kind of like trying so to be self-aware, self-aware goofiness gets a pass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you just gotta get outside the box and act a little cocky, you know? So that's what it was. It was, yeah. it was just like having fun with it. Yeah. It, yeah. it was cool. It reminds me, uh, Brian from knock loose came on and we, we were talking about how, um, he did a feature for that band uh, malevolence uh, from, from Europe. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and just like <laughs> when they were shooting the video for it, he was like, Oh, like, do you want me to do like the scary, like, you know, no smiling He's like, no, like, like they were like cracking jokes in between takes. And just like, it was like really hard to do an entire take in that like badass like super serious kind of attitude but like as soon as he was like okay we could do a take of that or we can do a take where you can kind of just do whatever and then he got the edit back he's like okay that's probably the coolest i'll ever look so let's put it in the video (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. oh man filming a music video is always it'll never not feel weird for me at least you know it's just always kind of uncomfortable and like i just yeah it's a tough tough position to be in mm-hmm. I, I feel like i never do it do it quite right but you know <laughs> some people are just naturals at that shit yeah not me uh going back to the winds of plague stuff um yeah like for me that was just like really cool because like it is this is like very metal band and then just out of nowhere you have like very hardcore lyrics so like <laughs> you know like i know yeah. terror terror has been uh, a band long enough to like really um be strategic of like we're doing you know, we're going out with these hardcore bands, but like, also we're going to go out with these metal bands. We're going to go out with these metalcore bands and like expand, you know, like get in front of new people and, and learn how to play to those individuals as well. So like, I'm kind of curious if like, if all these like metal heads just came out of nowhere being like, Hey, I heard you on that track. It sounds awesome. And now I like terror or anything like that. Uh, 
I know. So one time someone like uh, turned me on to YouTube comments, which is like the, the, you know, the worst place on earth. Like people that comment on YouTube videos are like the lowest form. Yeah. But it seems like most metal. See, I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of, I don't know if it's like what kind of metal heads listen to Winds of Plague because it's like, I listen to metal music, a lot of metal and stuff like that, but I'm not, I would never call myself a metal head, you know, sure. like, because yeah. I'm just not that person, you know, so I, I don't really know what type of metal guy is like listening to Winds of Plague, but whatever type they are, they felt that me being on the track was like sacrilegious or something like that. They like kept, <laughs> yeah, they like, like, what is this? what is this rap part on the song? And I'm like, damn, rap it's like, it doesn't even sound like, rap. I mean, I guess maybe I just have a, a flow that happens naturally when I'm sure. like thinking of lyrics or whatever. Maybe it, to them, it comes off as kind of like, it's a, it's a little too good for them or something right. like I have too much flow, but yeah, I mean, but that's YouTube comments. So it's mm-hmm. like, who knows who's saying that and if they really feel what they're saying or if they're just trying to like stir up some shit or something, but um, sure. yeah. Uh, yeah. There was, you know, we toured with them multiple times. So there was definitely like crossover and like, you know, it's like, I would get someone here and there, like, you know, who would come up and talk to me and say they saw the video or something like that and thought it was cool and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And, um, you know, I, I would, I would guess that there's people that <clears throat> came to those shows that we played with them that, had, had no idea who we were that yeah ended up being like oh i'd like that band or you know or vice versa you know who knows yeah, Someone for sure. yeah yeah so yeah yeah and, and uh so, yeah speaking of youtube comments uh the top comment uh for our terror calgary set is it's just Ugh. like that <laughs> it has an overwhelming <laughs> amount of likes <laughs> that's amazing yeah, yeah. I, yeah, was like, I don't know why, but I correct I, way I, to spell I, that. He was like, you, the, the way that I, yeah, <laughs> the way I always thought to spell it. I don't know why. I don't know where I saw it spelled that way, but it was always O U G H was like the proper, like if, if you, if you, that type makes that to sense like a to me. Metal head, they would know exact, they, their brain would probably go straight to like, Oh, he's talking like Celtic frost. You know, yeah. That's what I feel right. Like. <laughs> So yeah, you should you should look at the the yeah. There's a good compilation on YouTube. It's just like one second clips of every one of Tom G. Warriors like ooh like just in a row and right. you know all the crazy crazy little accents that he used. Yeah, I'll have to check check that out. And now we got uh, Bleach Mouth Postscript. Uh, th- this is uh, from Larry Gargas. Uh, of Akron, Ohio. It's interesting that that would be the information provided to me, uh, just that he's from Akron, Ohio. <laughs> all right, all right, Larry. <laughs> Sorry I didn't have more to say to you on this one. Anyway, um, I, I come to find out later that there kind of maybe was other stuff going on, but it was completely unrelated to what we all had going on. Sure. Yeah. So there's shows going on in the basement of the Crunch Face house, and somebody caught wind that there were shows going on in Canton in a place called Garrow Hall. This is mm-hmm. well before the Y. I think it might've been Brian Strazak. Maybe and yeah, that sounds right. You guys throttle bottom played there. We did. And there's an incident that I like to call the speeding motorcycle <laughs> incident. I don't think I'll tell you, I'll tell you my version of it. How I remember it. Okay. And, I, Cause I, I don't know how much I remember about this. <laughs> well, 
other than like the main highlight, obviously. Well, at some point, uh, Elian came out from behind his drum set. I don't think Kevin was there. Am I no, wrong? it's when we were trying. We were Kevin. So the second year I thought about him, Kevin went to school in Columbus, and he met and Brian were trying to play shows as a three piece. Okay, so I wasn't wrong about that. I I'd thought to myself either Kevin just sort of said I'm not going to play this song or whatever, no, or he, he just wasn't there. I was basically just like, you know what? I can probably figure out how to play guitar and sing at the same time. Let's just try to play. No, go ahead. So, so anyway, Matt comes out from behind the drum set, and either you or Brian said this song is called Speeding Motorcycle. And you guys just started like wailing on your guitars and uh, just playing really fast. And um, Elaine was just screaming into the microphone, speeding motorcycle, speeding motorcycle <laughs> over and over. And this is going on for a good, maybe not quite two minutes, but definitely beyond 30 seconds approaching a minute. And the people in Kent were sit like really close to you guys, just nod, like nodding their heads like there was a beat to any of this. And they were just it's a like, cover. <laughs> I, well, see, I didn't know that. I, you know, they're just like, you know, get checking us out. And Joe and I are standing where you guys are at. And um, Elan kind of looks over at Joe Mm -hmm. and then he gets this stuff out and he coats his, his left arm with like, it looked to me just from a distance, looks like, like Vaseline. It was rubber cement. It was rubber cement. It was rubber cement. Okay. (laughs) So he's covering his arm with it and he just, he sort of moves over to Joe who he'd already made eye contact with. And I'm sort of watching this happen and he sticks his arm out and Joe, and he just keeps screaming, speeding motorcycle the whole time. This is going on. He sticks his arm out and Joe looks at me. Then he looks at Eland, pulls his lighter out of his pocket and lights his arm. His arm goes up in flames. Yeah. And I don't mean like small piddling flames. I mean, no, it's were... like on fucking fire. And he starts <laughs> swinging his arm. I don't know if he was actually trying to hit anybody, but he was coming really close to people sometimes. I think yeah, yeah. He, he was also probably in a lot of pain at some point too. Cause I think, yeah. and I remember distinctly as people were like nodding their heads, like this is a great rock event. They were sort of like oblivious to the fact that this guy's on fire and like, bits of the rubber cement were coming off (laughs) landing on people's pants and on the floor. And eventually I looked at Joe and I said, yo, this is not good. This is not good. Something's going to happen. And I don't know how it got put out, but I don't remember. I don't remember. There was, there was, there was a room, there was a room adjacent to where the stage was at. Mm -hmm. And I was back there and Elian was wrapping his hands in, wet t-shirts or whatever he get his hands on and i looked at him and he unwrapped to look at his hand i said dude that was what are you gonna do because i don't know this hurts i should probably go to a fucking hospital and he's like staring at it. he's clearly in shock or at least to me i remember him thinking like because it probably was and it wasn't like his flesh wasn't melting but, right, but it, it was a pretty bad burn. It was a bad, bad burn. Yeah, a yeah. real bad burn. And we had to go to the emergency room. So he, all right, Speeding Motorcycle is a Daniel Johnston song that a friend okay. of ours used to play on their radio show on WKSR all the time. So it was sort of like in our um, social circle vernacular, you know? Right. Matt decides before we go play the show in Canton that he's going to set himself on fire for entertainment value but it's going to be okay 
because he's going to use rubber cement and it's just going to burn off and nothing's going to happen to him. And I was kind of like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's how that's working. He's, he's like, no, no, it, it really is. And I don't know anything. And also like, you know, I loved how wild Matt was. I, lo- I really enjoyed his fucking antics. So I was like, okay, cool. Matt's going to yeah. set the on fire tonight, you know? So, and I was like, well, how are we going to cover Speedy Motorcycle? And he's like, well, I'm going to sing it. You and Brian just play whatever. I was like, okay, cool. That sounds cool. And then it happened. And then it was like clear that he was like in trouble and then we spent, you know, and you know, I'm sure you've been to the emergency room for a number of reasons, either as a kid or now as a parent. It always sucks. It takes for fucking ever. Yeah. And then after that, I was just like, no more of this. No more speeding motorcycle. <laughs> Never again in the emergency room. <laughs> That's my recollection of it. It may or may, it may be. Like none of it's fabricated, but that's distinctly. No, it, it wasn't, I just, I, mean, I didn't know. Was... I, I distinctly remember the thing that I'm really, really just embedded in my head was he and Joe making eye contact. And mm-hmm. I've convinced myself, whether it's true or not, that they had, that Matt didn't tell Joe to light him on fire prior to the set. Like in my head, <laughs> I just thought that Joe sort of like understood, Hey, I'm supposed to light this guy on fire. No, he definitely had to. They must have worked it out ahead of time. They probably did. Matt planned it before we got there that he was going to set himself on fire with rubber cement, but it was going to be perfectly okay because it would just be the rubber cement and it would burn off. My version is (laughs) better. Yeah, of course it is. (laughs) Do you have any like particular, like, was there any, I mean, because we had that great story about Garrow Hall, but were there any good stories about the why that you recall that, like anything uh, it doesn't I have a story that you're dangerous or i have a story but i don't i think that you're gonna want to cut it out it's Which about one? you no go ahead it's funny right, we'll cut it out if you want to it's All a, right. it's a garrow hall story okay um <laughs> oh is this the uh the time bomb and um arm's length and uh this is a gag reflex story yeah um that involves a water bottle. Yeah. You, uh, want, you probably don't want this. <laughs> or you could cut out the band name. It <laughs> it's too late now. We already used all three well, bands. You can, play. you can edit in post. <laughs> Go ahead and tell it. Maybe what I'll do is I'll save it and share it with uh, close friends. Because it not cracked it, it, dude, it fucking cracked me up at the time because I you know, I still didn't know you that well. Like we've been hanging out together for like a, a couple of few years. Yeah. But I, you know, I knew that you were like a smart ass. And I was like one of my favorite things about you because I'm a smart, I, especially then I was like a big smart ass. Yeah. And so I really felt like we connected in that way. And so we're watching a band play and you're trying to tell, you're like telling me a story. We're like talking instead of watching the band and the singer gestures to you to come get and fill up his water bottle. So you grab it while you're still talking to me you're still telling me a story. So I follow you into the kitchen off the side of the room. You fill up the water bottle. (laughs) Still telling me a story. You don't take even a fucking breath. (laughs) While you're still telling me your story. (laughs) Put the lid back on the bottle. You're still talking to me the whole time. You hand the dude his water back and you keep talking to me like nothing has fucking transpired. (laughs) 
Like it was just it was just an involuntary response in your part for having somebody motion to you to do a chore for them and you're like okay motherfucker okay next up we got one step beyond uh a ram pardon me is uh, the host. Uh, Ram has been in so many goddamn bands, it's crazy. Uh, he's got a ton of interest. And uh, the guest on this one is uh, Ross Terrany. That's the CFO of Level 10 Energy. Uh, he also plays guitar in Allegiance. No shit, that's crazy. I want to speak to that just being really true to who you are in both those worlds because I knew that you were in college I knew that you were heading down like a professional pathway mm-hmm. and it just seemed so seamless like it never seemed like you were someone who was trying to like hide anything like you weren't like oh yeah I don't want to talk about work like you would very easily talk about work and you'd very easily talk about school and kind of like what you thought your future might be and it sounds like at work you never actually tried to hide the punk side either is that is that correct that you were able to really just like be yourself in both uh, both spaces i was and and i think i almost had to be i mean and look it didn't come without its challenges right uh, in you're in a counterculture environment it's not necessarily easy you know, be the suit in the room these counterculture environments are ironic in a way because so much of it is about fitting into the counterculture and so there's a bit of an imposter syndrome around Hey, I don't know, like, I'm not wild enough. I'm not angry enough. I'm not jumping off of the right, you know, the tallest thing and doing the craziest thing because I'm afraid I might get hurt because I can't go to work tomorrow with a black eye. And at the same time, in the business world or, or in my professional environment or in school, what I was doing on the weekends was not common. One of the things about punk and hardcore, at least from my experience, and I don't, I don't want to say this is true for everyone. I became more insecure about fitting in as I got older and, you know, like, you know, I'd played in my bands and done my stuff, but there's that point where it's like, I went all throughout university and I got these like advanced degrees and I'm starting my career and I couldn't like, I didn't have a peer group necessarily in punk and hardcore anymore. Like I couldn't talk to people about being a professional or what I did. And I, and it's not that I couldn't, I guess I was just afraid to, and like, there wasn't that space for it. I became way more insecure as I got older in punk. As I entered the corporate world, I was super insecure at first because I felt I felt I had to fit in. But the longer I've gone in, I've gotten like way more secure. It's been like a weird inverse relationship. When I started in punk and hardcore, I was super secure. You're just a young kid. You're a skateboarder. Everyone's kind of like, oh, we're, in a, we're all under minor threat. This is cool. But then when the stakes rose and belonging to that became much more important to me. And also like the clear connections to it became like less and less and less for me. It made me more insecure. But then... As I've been in the corporate world, I've become way, way more secure. And that's not saying one's good or one's bad. One of the things that I've found about punk and hardcore is that it's tempting to or easy to get stuck there because there's like a clear success that you can replicate. You play a show and everyone goes crazy or you put out a record and everyone goes nuts. And this kind of like playing small almost like I'm just going to stay in this little place where I know I've been successful and I'm just going to try and do that ongoing. Not for everyone, but I have noticed like there seems to be like kind of like a, a tough space that people can fall in. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. I think you're right. There's just sort of the maybe the, the more surface level aspect of that being a younger, angrier person's game. 
at least I know that's what attracted me to it when I was a kid, right? That it was, it was a place for me to express emotions and, and be connected to music and, and people that I wasn't having access to at school or, you know, uh, in, in my family or, or whatnot. And that's a comfort zone and you can get stuck in comfort zones. I think you can get stuck in any comfort zone and you have to continually challenge yourself. Right. And I think part of what you're talking about is, especially if you find success in that environment, it makes it that much harder to continue to push yourself. Right. You can imagine that if the band you were in wasn't trying to be successful in the relatively small pond of hardcore where, you know, especially in the area era when we were doing it, it was so much easier than kind of, you know, in the 80s and 90s when there was no internet, there was no, you know, it's, it's, you could really, you could be reasonably successful for what that means in that scene if you tried hard enough and you had a little bit of luck. If what you were trying to do was get on MTV or, uh, you know, win a Grammy, uh, <laughs> you know, you may not have become as comfortable as you did. Because you didn't win a Grammy and you weren't going to, but uh, you know, but you were successful for the environment you were in, and that really helps, I think, to entrench that comfort. And how do you continue to push yourself when you're looking around and you're saying, "Hey, I've I've kind of achieved what I wanted to achieve," or going back to my intro on Allegiance, achieved way more than I ever thought was possible or was the point. Right. Uh, and, and so how as a band or how as an individual do you push yourself to do more, reach more people, spread another or different message uh, or you just stay interested and dynamic in any case? Man, you, you hit right on it. Like, you know, and I don't want to imply staying like still putting out records or anything. There's anything negative about that. Like, for example, you've got um, some bands like uh, Sick of It All who've made a career out of it. You know? Yeah. And like literally that's their career. That's that's awesome. You also have some people who just do it as a cool creative outlet. Like, I mean, like, you know, like who's to say how many more records you and I might be involved in right. uh, in the rest of our lives. And I think that's cool. The difference, I guess, between getting stuck or hiding versus like just allowing it to be like a cool creative outlet, something you like to be involved in. And for me, I, I can definitely say at one point, I know I was hiding. Like I was like <laughs> not, um, I was playing small. I was just sticking to the place where I really knew, hey, this is a well I could just keep going back to. And like, I can, you know, I can, I can get what I need from this thing. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like, it had stopped pushing me. Like you said, it had stopped stretching me. It had stopped, um, challenging me and making me a stronger better person instead it was just like a lesser and lesser and lesser iteration of who i wanted to be and when i really like made a choice to start focusing on like my career and do all those things it was so weird because i didn't have that like constant feedback cycle of like that crazy show you had or that record where it was like you're doing a good thing it was more like oh i was one of many 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 people who were young professionals and you had to kind of like lift yourself up a little bit more did you ever experience anything like that yeah for sure i mean i i can think about you know instances where especially you know beginning my career when i moved out of the accounting sphere into corporate finance which was uh you know transition for me i remember and I was still doing allegiance at the time, right? So you have to imagine on one side of my life, I've got this experience where you're on stage and you know that time when you're in the middle of a song and the song like stops for a beat and the audience is looking at you 
almost like asking you what what's what's coming what are you about to do and then you you know, you hammer drop that just huge riff on them and the place erupts and you get that just instant feedback of mm-hmm. man you're you're killing it and you're you are you are reaching us you're doing exactly you know what we want and so i you know, that's something that i was really fortunate to be able to experience from time to time as as part of that uh, environment and now i'm in a boardroom with you know, a, a group of professionals, executives, and I'm giving you sort of early presentations. And you, you build these things up in your mind. You try just as hard to write that deck and get that message across as you do, you know, putting that riff together. And you, know, you sit down at the table, you've got your you know, button-up shirt on and everything. Everybody's, uh, everybody's around you. Somebody introduces your topic. The table stops you know, looks at you in that same kind of way, you know, and, and you give sort of this stunted, stuttery, you know, I'm nervous, I'm not confident, uh, you stumble over this thing. And, you know, the the table does not get up and start circle pitting, you know, (laughs) off of, <laughs> off of off of the riff you just dropped about you know what's happening with headcount in the in the company or something like that, right? And so on the one hand, you know, you both have to get used to the fact that you don't get the same response in every environment, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I could have had the confidence to get through those types of presentations and to learn and to say, hey, I didn't get the reaction I wanted. What could I do differently to get the reaction I want if you know I, I didn't have that experience being on stage in front of hundreds of people, doing something I loved, getting a great reaction and getting that support? I mean, in high school, I was the kid who, you know, I'd have my my little speech and I'd have it down. I'd be super confident. I've got this. I rehearsed it a dozen times. I know exactly what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it. I'm going to nail this. I'm perfectly okay. And then the moment I open my mouth, it's just nothing. I've got nothing. I'm, I'm beat red. I'm stuttering. I'm sweating bullets. And that, that was me, right? And I couldn't speak. And hardcore changed that for me. I mean, it really did. And it gave me this sense of being able to be at the table. And sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it doesn't. That doesn't really matter what happens in the moment. What happens is you know, how do you take that feedback that you got, whether it was overwhelming, underwhelming, and you know, reconfigure what you're going to do for next time so that you know you do get that. Yeah, and dude, when you said that like pause where it's the riff, I instantly thought of my pledge that intro like na 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 na. na. <laughs> No, exactly. You know, and you're holding your guitar up and you're just yeah. looking around like, who's going to bring it? You know, I mean, <laughs> totally, totally, man. Okay. Uh, next up, we got spinning out. That's that. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm struggling today, folks. It's 2 a.m. in a bathroom in a Ramada in uh, just south of Berkeley, California. Uh, and I. Apparently, the 40 minutes of sleep that I had uh, is not sufficient. Uh, Josh Robbins from the band Late Bloomer is the host here. And uh, on this episode, Jeremy Baum is the guest. Uh, They talk about the National uh, and uh, a little REM chat. In the same way, once again, shifted into REM and not the National. But I think... 
I never thought of the similarities in a way with them. Like they're kind of other than I feel like REM were able to kind of live in a time that had more like MTV and uh, opportunities that I don't think were really probably even available to the national or really had to. I think they were able to flourish in different ways, but the similarities I never really thought about. Um, So do you think that in the same way that people like the Smiths, do you feel like REM has been able to kind of be passed down to another generation as well? I don't know that there's young people listening to REM. You know what I'm saying? I think for for the generation um, older than me, so I'm 38, so I think people that are probably in their early 40s that were in college at the time were probably, would probably look at to REM to be like that, you know? Like in the very mid-90s era, I bet, especially those early records. Like, okay, for example... My band recorded two records with a guy named Brad Wood. Mm-hmm. He um, comes up a lot on this podcast. Oh, okay. So Brad Wood, massive REM fan. Massive REM fan. And that's like exactly who that would be for. You know, he's in his like, I think he might be, he might be 50 now. That, but that like, makes sense. He was, he was like there seeing them as those albums were coming out, uh-huh. you know, like he, that was his favorite band when murmur came out, Yeah, you know? Um, he has some very funny stories about him dealing with REM in like charming capacities. Um, but yeah, it's like, that's, that's who I think the generation is for. Um, I'm not really sure who those bands are these days. I th- I think that we live in such a, you know, disposable, kind of time with music that I, I don't know if and when we're really going to have those anymore unless people are willing to do the research which i'm kind of finding out they're not yeah you know i think like and kind of where it shifts back to the national it's just that one thing i think potentially hurt rem and i don't know this as a fact it's almost like bands that stick around too long and i think that can be subjective and not always like true because like you're saying you've checked out later rem records and you feel maybe i'm putting words in your mouth they're potentially as good as some of the other air uh you know but (laughs) uh maybe not (laughs) but okay so the let me try and rethink i get what i get what you're saying yeah but like sometimes bands kind of stay around too long or that's the thought and so it's like the smiths i guess are able to kind of skate off of the fact that they went it's just away. a different yeah, yeah it's just like a different time i mean i mean but look at the cure the cure is the cure is can still put out a record sure. and it'll probably do okay but uh that's where you fall into the world of like what a legacy band is you know like legacy band is like a tough a tough position to be put in because you go to see a band okay let's bring up a band like corn yeah you know what i'm saying like corn has continued to put out albums every other year but like I don't know how many of those fans are pumping their fists, hoping they play track six off their newest record when they go to see them. Yeah. You know, they're going to see them wanting to hear songs off their first four records. Yeah. You know, and what, so, what's frustrating is I think when bands, I don't know if Korn is one of them, I wouldn't have any way of knowing like, um, a lot of times the assumption is that the band's new material isn't as good as the classic material. But then I wonder, it's like a lot of these bands potentially are doing some of their best work. I mean, the mm-hmm. national maybe is the example. Uh, 
but people just want the early stuff. I mean, that's just like a human condition kind of thing that we'll never be able to diagnose. Right. Yeah. And what's great about what I think makes the Nationals so lucky is that I think their first two records are never talked about. And I, as a massive fan, never throw on like the self-titled record. And they have a record called Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers. Um, my band even covered a track off of sad songs on a on a comp for a comp a long time ago um and we only chose one of those songs because i was like oh this sounds like this we could do this song and not butcher the shit out of it because it's like up it's like kind of bored it's kind of aggressive um and isn't you know there's not a like electronic elements brought into it it just it's like a guitar rock band um and it wasn't until the record alligator that they started to become actually known and and popular outside of probably brooklyn you know um so it's like alligators their third record box and they start to get popular boxer hits they start really getting momentum high violet comes out it's like for a band to to literally blow up on their sixth record is awesome and gives gives me a lot of hope you know like in the same way that to bring it back to leonard cohen like something that always motivates me and makes me not feel bad about my age is like Leonard Cohen didn't put out his first solo record until he was in his thirties. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So it's like, you know, it's, it's just one of those reminders that it's like, it's never too late for you to put out a record or, or start a band, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. What's kind of, so yeah. when you think about, I guess I don't even know if I want to say that the national or like indie rock and that kind of easy way, but I guess we would call them indie rock. But sometimes I feel like like indie rock doesn't often allow people to get older as gracefully. Like, but I I feel like there are a lot of heavy bands, you know, I guess like actual metal bands. It's like kind of cool that these people are in their 40s or at least that's my perception as like getting older. But I feel like it's sometimes like if you're past 30 and you're in indie rock and not crazy success established then it's embarrassing in a way i think it all depends you know um also i just need to correct myself high violet is their fifth record not their sixth record. okay yeah <laughs> just, i was like, i said that i was like i need to still need to fifth myself. record but still to blo- <laughs> to literally become big on your fifth record yeah is very special yeah you know um but uh but yeah to your point i mean it, I could probably think of other bands that have older members, but that, that probably didn't take off until a little later, but it's interesting to think about, you know, to, to equate it to like actors, you know, I feel like most actors don't start winning their Oscars until they're in their fifties, which is crazy, you know, or like become really respected until they're in their forties. Um, and those are the people that we still consider like actual movie stars, you know, it's like, I listen to a lot of movie podcasts and like that a lot of the conversations are like, we don't really have like movie stars in this generation. When we think of movie star, we think of George Clooney, we think of Brad Pitt, we think of Leonardo DiCaprio, we think of, you know, these types of people, but like the Denzels of the world, but like everyone else is like famous because they're in Marvel movies yeah, and that's great. And they're sick. And I love a lot of those actors. I think they're awesome. But like, you know, you can't really imagine them doing a lot of like we can't I can't imagine Chris Evans 
doing like a really dramatic noir movie and having it work, mm -hmm. you know? Whereas like, yeah, I don't know. I'm going on a, on a tangent yeah. here, but like, but it's just, it's, it's interesting to think about age and how it, how it works with different people in their eras and, and their professions, you know? Yeah. And I'm trying to think, cause I mean, everyone in the national, they weren't like, even when I feel like they started being known outside of New York, like they weren't young, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I think the thing I read about the singer, um, Matt, uh, so what, like he's quit a like advertising job to kind of like pursue the national, I think at that point he was like, he said he was in his thirties, uh, yeah. you know? And so that's, but that's, yeah, that's not the norm per se. And it's like, kind of, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, in American culture, it's very dangerous to say, I'm going to quit my well-paying job to do my rock band. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've seen it it's, a lot and it never works out well. <laughs> no, it, it really doesn't. You know, you always feel like you need to have, that's an unfortunate part of, of American culture also is that you always feel you're always pressured to have a backup plan. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, you want to do your band, but you probably should get that college degree. Yeah. You know, just because you have it as a backup. You know, it's like, that's an unfortunate thing. And I, and I hate it, to be honest with you. Like, you know, I, uh, I myself, like I never went to college and I've never really gave up wanting to play music. And like, to my detriment, you know, here I am, I'm like 38 living at a time where music is basically toast. Um, and you know, it's like a scary thing that I, that I dwell on, but I have to remember that it's just like, I chose to, you know, I feel like once you, once you've done this long enough, you kind of, you know how to hustle, you have a built in hustle ability where it's like, okay, well, you know, I need to somehow pay my rent. So like, what am I going to do to figure this out? You know? And I think that there's a drive that that is born with some people to be like, I don't give a fuck. Like I I'll eat, you know, I'll eat top ramen if I have to, but, um, you know, I, I know that I want to do music, so I'm going to keep doing that and whatever. So like, I, I credit Matt for doing that. I mean, that's like a really bold move to be like, I'm going to just pursue the music thing a hundred percent. You know, yeah. he tells a really, he tells a really awesome story on a podcast. Uh, he did with, uh, I think he interviewed Amy Mann and, and, uh, says that, that they, they sent their demo or whatever their newest thing was at the time, uh, to Matador and Matador like hand wrote them a letter back saying you will never be on Matador. Like, which is incredible. Cause now they're on, they've been on four AD, which is beggars banquet, which is literally the same umbrella as Matador. And I just love, like, you know, in their back of their mind, they're just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like we have crushed it on this, you know, like you missed out on quite an opportunity. Yeah. You know, they're like the most um, successful, like spite band ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 It's, uh, That's funny absolutely. that imagining Matador doing that because that feels like something reserved for like Fat Records. Like Fat Records had to, to like, like handwrite. Yeah, like they had the filled in thing, and then he would just kind of like write little notes. Like it was essentially a rejection letter, and he would just like write his name and be like, put in the band's name, and then it's like no. Yeah. You know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very, very funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like in a lot of ways, you know, the the National are kind of this beacon of hope i think you know it's like it's a reminder that like 
you can still make great music no matter what age you're at. Um, and you know, you could still tour and, and be interesting and do creative things and, and, you know, have your own vision for what you want to do. Okay. Next up, we got secret jocks. That's jocks, jocks. That's Ralph, Greg, and Tyler talk basketball from the perspective of deeply nerdy, hardcore kids, uh, who are also all in on sports. It's more kids than you think, honestly. You think there's any like steampunk freaks that have built like a PC, but that have been powered by like some like power tubes, like rubies or something? They happen to be like a, That'd be sick, like a guitar, <laughs> like a, yeah, they, they're like an ant, like a Fender amp nerd, but also build computers and also are super into <laughs> steampunk. Oh, guys, I can't, I can't play tonight. I forgot to put some rubies on the computer. Run out of emeralds. Yeah, no, you know the ruby tubes. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, those tubes. I thought I thought about like rocks. No, like, no way, rocks. dude. <laughs> you thought I was talking about? No way. Yeah, dude. Well, no, no one uses ruby tubes. Come I on. actually didn't know. Ru- I just assumed you were going there, Tyler. I didn't know about ruby tubes though. <laughs> oh yeah, come on. There's like okay. There's like the one person who is like certified to fix fender fender amps in this town only uses rubies. So I think everybody who has a soft deck or a fender in in my town has rubies. It's just it's just what you do. What's this guy's name? Uh, Mike. <laughs> yeah, don't ruby? go to Mike, guys. If he's using ruby tubes, yeah, no, thank Damn. you. Go to, go with you know a good old fashioned Russian tube, some mallards. Get some JJ's out there. You know what I'm saying? We got soft techs. Never <laughs> ruby, dude. Never. <laughs> Uh, and this is Tech Talk, <laughs> not TikTok, with uh, Secret Jock Podcast. Hell yeah. Fuck the Lakers. They suck. They're doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> Beat LA. Let's go, baby. Uh, let's, yo, okay. Let's, we went negative. Let's go positive. Yes, sir. Steph. Yes. MVP season yes. on the way right now. 50 uh-huh. points last night. Predicted by the GOAT, Candace Parker. Ralph, how does it feel to know that you've just got the best team right now? How you feeling? <laughs> You know what? It feels familiar. You know, Damn. it's like I've been here before. You know, for the past five years. You know what I'm saying? Or I, I should say, well, not so, the last two years. No, no, not the two <laughs> years. No, that's our resting seasons. You know, the past seven years minus the last two. You know, it feel it feels great. I mean, you know, everyone dogged on us because fucking Clay was injured. I'm like, oh, Steph can't do it on his own. I, well, he is doing it on his own. You know what I'm saying? Okay. On his own? I'm sorry. You've got future finals MVP right now and who helped me win my first uh, <laughs> my first week MVP. in fantasy, Jordan Poole. So, 
okay but, yeah but, we're on our own we've got no one but the thing sorry, about we it got is jordan pool <laughs> we all drafted all those guys yeah so I know. you know that's not like us getting someone from somewhere we yeah, got him from the from g the league you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah we scouted that boy yeah, no, your front your front office is undefeated for yeah, real. It's, so it's, good. Solid. it's nuts how how correct they are, you know what I'm saying? Uh do you think this team is better than the 70 was it 73 win team? Ooh. Uh, no. I don't think so. I don't think Steve Kerr would let them be that good. If that makes sense. You think he would rest them? Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that probably was a bit of the issue mm-hmm. was that they went so hard to get that record and that's a grueling to get that record and then play, you know, 16 more games, 16 or, plus games. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think Steve Kerr would make that mistake already. I mean, he has both of the records now, you know, the 73, nine, 72, eight. That's true. 72, 10. Damn. Where I didn't is, think about that. <laughs> yeah. He has two of those records. So like, <laughs> I think he's just going to be smarter. You know, he's probably going to go for uh, absolutely, you know, the first seed, but not go overboard. And also there's going to be some, some time to like, to learn how clay and James Wiseman play like in the middle of the season. So we're going to be shaky there. So we need all the wins we can get right now. I feel bad. Do you you think (laughs) there will be any sort of like, dip when clay gets back and not because he's a bad player or anything obviously he's one of the greatest but he'll be rusty he hasn't played Mm -hmm. basketball in over two years uh and injecting him back into the starters obviously it's his place he'll be there right away but do you think like the warriors have so much chemistry going on right now and they're playing like a team that's played together for like 10 years Mm -hmm. Do do you think putting clay into that system will shake it up a little bit in a negative way I think th- I think they'll be fine. I mean, yeah, I think the first few games, Clay would be kind of lost because you know it's different watching than playing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Clay would figure out since he's been there before. He's been the off-ball guy for the longest time. He'll figure out where where Draymond wants all his passes to land. And it's just, I, I would say, like I said, like it's going to be like a shaky month with those two coming in back in, but they'll figure it out. I mean, they're good without them right now. So, I mean, if you put them in, they can't be that worse. Yeah. It's only going to make them better. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, okay. That's enough warriors. That's talk. crazy. Yeah, man. dude. 9-1, baby. Yeah. You're fucking, they're good. They're really good. And I got to say, I was, I, I was a little skeptical uh, just just because I felt like they had a pretty young team, but shout out the Warriors. Yeah. Dude, here's They're the doing- thing, though. Like, people say that we have a young team, but most of these guys have been around the league, just not in, like, NBA teams. You know, that's fair. Gary league, Payton's. I didn't realize six, Gary Payton the second is 28. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, he's 28. He's just younger than me. Shit. O- uh, o- OPJ has been around. Yeah. The Elites has been around. Even Wiggins. He's Wiggins. been in the league for a while now. I mean, Damian Lee, all those guys are old. The only young guys are James Wiseman, Poole, Kuminga, and Moody. Moody 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 Moody. <laughs> who had the idea to let Kendrick Perkins be a, be a commentator 
and just someone who right. gets to speak on uh, ESPN every day. Like, I just don't get it. He had a shitty ass career, never won a ring, and yet he gets to have an opinion. I don't understand it. Because <laughs> he, he's not afraid to speak his mind, you know? Yeah. Carry on. I hate that. Okay. All right. You know what? Oh, now yeah, I'm mad. Dude, let's I, hear it. Go. Yeah, I hate, Go the, off, I hate the carry on thing. The He makes his point and then he says, carry on and then dot, dot, dot. I hate it. It's so fucking cheesy. It's like, the, I, it just, like, you know how I ask that question? Like, you see something that makes you so mad, you just want to bull rush it. Here when I see a tweet from Kendrick Perkins and then I see that goddamn carry on, at the end with the three dots, that makes me just so mad instantly. Oh, God, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I hate how 2K kind of like... Oh, that ru- that's the worst part of the fucking game. ruins the whole thing with the carry on. But it kind of ad- it kind of adds to the role-playing aspect because me as MP, a.k.a. Big Daddy, which I changed my name to... Oh. Uh, nice, let's go. When hey, I get hey. the negative video from Kendrick Perkins, I'm pissed. Yeah, in the game and uh, and behind the controller. God, <laughs> hey, um, so you changed your name to Big Daddy? Yeah, in the game. Nice. Mm-hmm. So do they say Big Daddy or? Yep. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of saying MP, they say Big Daddy. It's so oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I recommend it. Yeah, look through the <laughs> nicknames because there's like a ton of good nicknames. I, Bottoms is a good one. Yeah, Bottoms is a good one. <laughs> I used to be Rain Man. Uh, big yeah. Fundamentals. Yep. Now I'm Big Daddy. So change it from MP. It's boring. I get it. My yeah. player. But whatever. Wait, that's what yeah. it stands for? No, it stands for more uh, points. More points. <laughs> uh, okay, now that I got negative about Kendrick Perkins, let's get positive again. The Orlando Magic, aka Coin. All right, next up, we got Marked for Life. Uh, Davin, who's been in a number of bands, is the host of this one, and uh, she—it's uh, music. It's—it's it's a music podcast. She's going to be talking heavily about hardcore uh, of the moment. This is the hardcore uh, community. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> you want to hear the music? Yo, welcome to Marked for Life. My name is Davin, and I'll be bringing you hardcore music from across the genre and around the world. And I'll only be playing releases from 2018 or after, because what's happening in hardcore right now is fucking sick. Oh yeah. Marked for Life is a hardcore radio show done in the tradition of the 80s and 90s college hardcore radio shows. And every two weeks, I'm bringing you 10 to 15 new bands and new tracks, some that I've chosen myself, and I'm also taking your requests. It's been really cool to hear from some of you. I love hearing that you're finding bands that you can't stop listening to. Some people have sent me pictures of merch and records that they've ordered, and that is really fucking cool. A lot of the bands that I play are newer bands. Some of the bands haven't even played a show yet. And during the pandemic, it is really hard to get exposure. So support always means a lot, but it means even more now. 
Shout out to everyone who sent in a request. I now have a backlog, which is incredible. I'm so excited that you want to be part of this and that you're helping to bring attention to bands from all over the world. That's super fucking cool. And that's what it's all about is staying connected, supporting and promoting these bands and these labels that work so hard. Because we're like a big family. You don't find that like heavy metal and a lot of other kinds of music. Then most of them are into drugs and like destruction and stuff. We're not into that. Like we all like look out for one another. If you want to send a request, send a voice note to the Instagram marked for life HC or the email account marked for life HC at gmail.com. Say your name, where you're from, what song you want, what band, maybe why, and shout out your friends if you want. And I will play your request and your song on the air. So speaking of shouting out where we come from, the song I'm going to kick this episode off with, which I'm going to play momentarily, got me thinking about, I wouldn't say unspoken because this is loudly spoken and often spoken, but our undiscussed obsession with where we're from. I don't think that any genre of music, except for maybe hip hop, is as infatuated with where they live. (laughs) It's actually really weird. For example, if you heard Brute on the last episode or saw the clip I posted on the Instagram where they did a surprise set during Floor Punch, which was very cool. And the first thing they say is what all bands say. But in their case, it's we're Brute from Perth Amboy. So Perth Amboy is a town in New Jersey, and I looked it up. The population is just over 50,000. It's like 35 minutes from New York City. If Brute was like a country music ensemble or whatever, they would definitely claim to be from New York. But in hardcore, the first thing they want you to know about them is that they're from Perth Amboy. And not only do we kind of subconsciously think, oh, you're from Perth Amboy, respect, even if we don't know what or where Perth Amboy is, but we also file that locational knowledge away because it communicates information on a kind of subconscious level. For example, when someone sends me a band, the first thing I say is, oh, cool, where are they from? And I'm sure that it makes sense to you that I ask this, but the rabbit hole goes further. Not only are we self-designated representatives of our towns and cities, But a way that this is expressed in hardcore is through using our area codes, which doesn't seem weird until you think about it. And then it seems really fucking weird. So I think that our obsession with shouting out where we come from and acting like delegates of our cities and turning hardcore fests into like the United Nations of hardcore. Tonight at the International Summit of Hardcore, We have delegates from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Perth Amboy, New Jersey, Paris, France, and Chicago, Illinois. Tonight, we plan to accomplish much for the world of hardcore. Oh, it sounds like the deliberations have begun. I feel like ultimately our obsession with place has to do with a few things. One a tribute to the places that formed or continue to form us. Two, it kind of speaks to how tribal hardcore can be. Like emerging from a city, you kind of emerge like a clan. I know personally, I've gone to shows in cities far away and felt like there was such a culture shock. And finally, the answer that could have spared us this entire intro, we just think our scenes are sick. We love our friends. We're proud of our bands. And we just want to put it on the map. 
I live in the great city of Philadelphia. So I'm going to kick off this episode with a band from Philadelphia that I think truly encompasses and embodies who we are as a city. These are my friends in Please Die. The song is called Welcome to Philadelphia.
All right, what you just heard was the band Slant from Seoul, South Korea. The song is called Enemy, and that is off their full-length Ejib. My apologies if I said that incorrectly. That translates into first album. Slant's first album dropped on February 5th of 2021 on Iron Lung Records. It has already sold out of two pressings. The third pressing is coming out in May. So if you like what you heard, make sure you get your hands on that. Before Slant, I played something off the release that everyone is talking about right now. That is God's Hate self-titled full length that came out on March 12th, 2021 on Closed Casket Activities. The song is called Finish the Job. Sometimes in songs you find such beautiful poetry. And in Finish the Job, singer Brody King gives us, You desire racial purity. I'll smash you into obscurity. Mwah, chef's kiss. Beautiful. If you haven't heard of God's Hate, they are from Los Angeles. Definitely one of the albums of the year. Definitely the hardest shit ever. And before that, I kicked off the episode with Welcome to Philadelphia by Philadelphia's Please Die. It's off their 2018 full length, We Hate You. Please Die just released vinyl on Lionheart Records, um, which is sold out. However, there are a few remaining copies. If you liked what you heard, hit up MikeHooligan76 on Instagram or find MikeHooligan on Facebook. He's the singer and he can sell it to you directly. So now I'm going to play a couple more songs. And first up is my favorite track off my favorite release of 2020. The band is Big Cheese from London. The song is Identity. Identity is the last track on their full-length Punishment Park. It was released on Triple B Records and Quality Control Records. It's sold out from Quality Control. You can still get it from Triple B. I mentioned that this is the last track because so many people don't listen to the ends of albums. If you're in a band, you know the pain of having your shit up on Bandcamp or whatever, and you see how many plays you get, you see the stats, and you save the sickest song, you know, for somewhere in the end, you're like, I'm going to get them with that last song. And these motherfuckers never even hear it. If you're not in a band and you're one of those people who skips the last song, let this be a lesson to you. You would have missed Identity. And this song is fucking awesome. It's got this groovy bit. Oh, my God. It speaks to my soul. Okay. Next up, we got uh, Cinepunks, which is uh, it's a movie podcast. Uh, and... In this episode, they're talking to Dave White uh, of, Lino- of Linoleum Knife, a podcast I enjoyed for a long time, uh, but had to unfollow during the pandemic. Uh, they're discussing... Oh, shit. <laughs> what is this, a fucking setup? <laughs> they're discussing the films of a Pichichapatong... Uh, Pong, pardon me. We're ask a cool... That's a fucking setup, man. Nobody in the world thought I was going to get that. I uh, Let's see. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry to Mr. or Mrs. Uh, we're asking. So let's let's dig in on our first movie, Tropical Malady, which was completely new to me and Josh. Um, uh, Josh, for those uh, courageous listeners who are listening who haven't watched it, they want to hear us talk about it before they watch it. Could you just give people a brief synopsis about like what is it about, like what happens in the movie? Well, the movie takes place in two parts. The first part is um, the 
affectations between a soldier and a and a young man who is from like a farming village. He he works in an ice uh, in an ice factory, and it's just kind of like the amorous like uh, connections that they're making as they live through life. Right. It has a very matter of fact way of like presenting these things. There are a lot of like moments in this first half of the movie that are um, just almost slice of life moments. Yeah. Wouldn't you guys agree? Yes. Yeah. It's it's shot in a in a very naturalistic, almost documentary like way. Um, and although occasionally they are talking about uh, stuff that we might think of as supernatural. In fact, if you were going back again to see it, watch it again. So many years later, after having seen Uncle Boon Me, um, uh, the, the ice factory, uh, the man who works in the ice factory, he says, remember when I told you about my uncle who could recall his past lives? Oh, <laughs> I yeah. noticed that, yeah. And I, and I thought, oh, God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I... I yeah. That was a line that just sort of washed over me when I first saw it so many years ago. And then seeing it again, thinking, holy shit, these stories are connected. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that, that is, the first half is very much, uh, it's fairly straightforward. They, 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 they're developing this very sort of innocent, tentative romance, uh, holding hands, going to see a movie together. Uh, they go... Uh, into an underground temple where they uh, they they see a, a a Buddhist icon. It's got like you know Christmas lights and Christmas music <laughs> playing on it. Um, they take a dog to the vet. All these very everyday sort of things uh, are happening to them. And uh, the soldier's name is Kang, and the ice factory uh, the young man who works in the ice factory his name is Tong. And then at the end of that first half. Tong walks into the forest and disappears. I okay, so am I right that that is supposed to be like my so my experience of that, which is not to say this is the narrative intention, but as I'm watching it, I felt emotionally crushed by that moment. Is that okay? Okay, good. Because that's as that was hap- <laughs> as that was happening, I'm like, am I missing something here? Because I kind of start crying like I'm very much like un- and then as they're just driving away I thought because again I didn't read anything about this going in I wanted to be really like yeah. Yeah. affected by what it was doing and then when we switched to the narr- to the second narrative which second we'll describe path. in a second yeah. um, I just was like why what no where did he go what's happening <laughs> why did he leave it, it was very I was very um, uh, devastated by that moment yeah and then that second part starts with a, t- a new title and new credits, yeah. and and a whole different style of filmmaking that envelops you in this, uh, uh, you know, as as we as we mentioned earlier, this you know magical uh, folklore tale. Same but actors. It's also like it turns into a horror movie at the middle. Almost, yeah, just about. It turns into like Predator. Yeah, yeah. it's fucked up, man. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's awesome. It's such a cool juxtaposition, and it's such a cool like journey. You know yeah. what I mean? But man, so like we end our beautiful love story with this now second story of there's a tiger that was half human when it was killed by the soldier. And then it just, whoa, it it switches so hard and it's terrifying to me. 
And in this second half, the jungle is the character, right? Like this is the part where like you recognize that the, um, the abyss of, uh, of just the uncertainty and just the, the pressures of society and everything are personified by this jungle of ambiguity and darkness. And I mean, like, even though some parts of the second half are shot during the day, it is so bleak. It's so dark come that second half. And, um, yeah. And uh, what's fascinating is that the same actors are playing the new yeah. characters. Right. The, the, the man who played uh, Kang the soldier, his character is now named uh, Ekarat, and he's still a soldier, but he's in the jungle, he's in the forest, he's investigating the disappearance and mutilation of cows. Yeah. And the actor who played Tong is now... Uh, a, a shaman who has transformed into a tiger, and you are, for a while, left with the question of, well, are they the same guys? And are they not? And you don't always know until, for me, the end, when I realized yeah. you know, what I felt was coming really was what the film was about. Um, there's a quote from Mr. Wirasethakon, uh, where he talks about the film. And he says, even though the story is presented in a linear structure, Tropical Malady has two distinct stories that represent two very different worlds. However, these two territories are linked by characters that the audience can interpret as the same or not. What's essential are the memories. The memories from the first part validate the second part, just as the second part validates the first Neither exists wholly without the other. Mm-hmm. That's insane. The, the thing that I found myself thinking about, and I, again, I don't want to over-intellectualize this because I think at a basic level, both of these stories make you feel something, and you should take that feeling more seriously than any sort of like questions about structure or whatever. But I did find yes. myself thinking, in what ways does the allegorical nature of the second half allow us to more directly see or think about things than the first half is even able to in some ways, or, or maybe there's something about the indirectness of that kind of storytelling that allows us to get at things that are hard or uh, sensitive or painful or, or however we want to conceive of that. What we learn really during the second half is how closely connected not only these two new characters are to the two earlier characters, I mean, not simply because they're played by the same actors, but how connected the soldier is to the tiger. Uh, in the second half, the soldier describes having a strange feeling in his heart. And after he does, after he says this, a monkey appears in a tree and the monkey begins speaking to the soldier. And I wrote down every bit of this dialogue because it felt so important to me. What the monkey says to the soldier is, the tiger trails you like a shadow. His spirit is starving and lonely. You are his prey and his companion. Yeah. He, can, he can smell you and soon you will feel the same. Kill him to free him from the ghost world or let him devour you and enter his world. 
it, it, so it, brutal. That could be a that could be a poem about love and desire. Like that could just be its own piece of art. Just the, they, what the yeah. What the monk? By the way, what the talking monkey says in the movie yeah. could be its own like roomy poem about desire and destruction. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. And I don't want to give away how this film ends because I think that's really. Uh, it's a really beautiful ending for me, but the final the final bit of narration uh, from the film, for me, pulls everything together. As you were saying earlier, there is no difference between the natural world and what we would consider the supernatural world here. It is all dependent on each other, and it's all existing together at the same time. Um, and uh, for me, the final bit of narration and the final scenes are are this 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 culmination of the romance in the first half and the fear of love and the fear of connection in the second half um it's thrilling to me and i i i cannot recommend uh this film highly enough not just for you know uh viewers who you know have never seen a thai film or a film from this director but uh you know, particularly queer audiences who have lived their entire lives with the idea told to them by uh, others who dislike them that there is something inherently destructive about you. Um, and I really identified and appreciated uh, that in this film. Josh, okay. you, you've already reflected a bunch, but do you have any other thoughts about you know, the narrative structure about the ways that this explores kind of like passion and love or just, you know, this is like me, you were new to this. This is your first time watch. What were you sort of left thinking about afterwards? Oh, it's funny. The one sequence in the first half of the movie, when they go to the movie theater and they're watching the trailer for that other time movie. Yeah. And then they all have to stand because the national anthem is being played. <laughs> yes. But it's quiet. That whole sequence I found to be completely stirring. Yeah. And it was very like it it was so affecting that in the face of this like this pure love, there's still this like nationalist incentive that you have to follow in a movie theater. It's like, what the fuck is all of this? And it was one of those things that when I saw it, I had a very visceral reaction to it. I mean it's like it it is very telling that we've watched three movies like I'm Dave, I'm sure you've watched more. But for me and Josh, we've watched three <laughs> movies of this director. All three have been haunted by t the Thailand's military nature, oh, yeah. right? Like, uh -huh. you know, the the part in Uncle Boon Me where he's straight up like, I've probably killed too many communists. The, yeah. the flashes I was having to the look of silence or to, yeah. you know, other films exploring the bloody history of this region in general, not just Thailand, obviously, uh, but a lot of these countries where there were these pogroms against communists, Muslims, whoever it was. I was, you know, and let alone this idea, and oh, we'll get to Cemetery of Splendor, but the image of these sleeping soldiers and what that's about, you know, that, that, that yeah. each of these movies, you know, this film could be viewed as such a personal story, mm -hmm. but the fact that there is this political insertion of the question of the military yes. and of the kingdom is very, I think, poignant in a way. You know, in most of his films, uh, the the presence of the military is is very heavy, um, and the uh, dialogue referring back to you know 
historical trauma, wars with other countries, civil wars, authoritarian regimes, you know, uh, uh, kingdoms that have been, you know, decimated. The history uh, uh, is 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 repeated and 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 acted out again uh, in the lives of so many uh, of the characters and you know. Uh, uh, incidents in 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 his films i yeah i'm i'm so glad dave that you chose this movie because i um i I, yeah i probably would have gotten there eventually but i had not yet made time and it was a revelation and it's a movie i had to break up because as people know i am a uh I am a father of a young child who's in the midst of nighttime training, and so I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of sleep deprivation. So right after the first half ends and the second half began, my brain started to give out, so I had to like go to sleep and wake up and finish it this morning really early. Like I, I love that that happened. Uh, I love that that happened for you because uh, uh, he has spoken in the past about how he doesn't mind if people fall asleep in his films. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and I sometimes feel like he's doing it intentionally because the rhythms of his films are so slow paced yeah. and so quiet. And you, his sound design from film to film relies so much on sounds of the natural world. Um, and it's like it's like it's like a, it's like a calm app you know you are you are physically forced to slow down to watch his films and they have this physical power uh I, i've joked about this on linoleum knife before i said uh his movies slow down my heart rate and i yes. and i want to be in them as often as i can because i want that feeling um, that's, and, and I, I don't know who else feels that way, but I feel that way. <laughs> Next up, we got demo. Listen, uh, uh, some of you familiar with, uh, Greg Gordon, either from his bands or, uh, from the Fort Wayne scene. Uh, I can't believe I said that, that last phrase out loud, um, this is, uh, they talk new music. They talk demos. Uh, and I think uh, uh, they've got good radio voices. But yeah, on record, I just, uh, I, I just can't bring myself to give a shit. That's a flaw in, flaw in me, not in the band, right? This was good. Yeah, well, um, there's a flaw somewhere, right? <laughs> so let's, uh, let's roll the dice one more time, then we'll, we'll pivot and do some, uh, some voicemails. All right. Four. All right, four is uh, bad anxiety with their demonstration. So this is uh, this is a solo project from Hampton, who plays in Judy and the Jerks and various other bands in Hattiesburg. Like I said, this is a just a home solo recording that he did uh, during you know quarantine lockdown during 2020, and then I think it just recently finally got a tape release, um, and I think there are still some copies left. So I guess I'll determine if I want to pay for. Um, Less than four minutes of music Dude, based on what the, I the first I song is thirty five seconds. Yeah, for sure. Fifty seven, forty five, and then a minute thirty six. Yeah, for sure. But uh, you know, I support the Hattiesburg scene, so maybe I'll throw in my four dollars if this is really good. So let's uh, let's listen to the first two songs because no matter what, I don't think thirty five seconds is going to be an, uh, an adequate um, sample right. of music, right? right. So we're going to listen to No Shit and Police by Bad Anxiety off of the demo. Yeah. 
All right, we just heard the songs No Shit and Police by Bad Anxiety off of their demonstration. So I really, really liked that. That actually, that uh, I do feel compelled to pay for less than four minutes of music right now because I like that a fuck ton. Um, I mean, I have an affinity for the Hattiesburg scene. We both do. We've talked about it on the show. There isn't a band from Hattiesburg that I've heard from this camp um, that I haven't liked quite a lot. Um, and this actually reminded me specifically of one of my favorite hardcore tapes of the last decade, which is the Matrix demo. Matrix demos, straight up some of my favorite music put to tape in like literally 10, 20 years. I love it so much. I revisit it constantly. Um, and this really, really reminded me of that. I would not be surprised at all if Hampton was drawing directly from that Matrix demo as a reference point for a lot of this stuff, especially the the sort of like the stop and start with the fucking drum fills and that super reminiscent of Matrix. Um, yeah, I loved this. I, I got nothing bad to say about this at all. I, I liked it a lot, a lot. I don't know if there are any plans to make this into a more proper project, but I would really like to hear like a proper like seven inch, seven inch worth of material from this project. I would really like to hear 10 songs of this length instead of four because uh, the two I heard I fucking loved. This is like exactly the type of uh, like snotty, fast, fucking early U.S. hardcore influenced music that that attracted me to the genre in the first place. You know, this is like it still has one foot firmly rooted in like the punk the punk ethos that guided early hardcore, which is the world that I came out of. So this stuff speaks to me both musically, uh, aesthetically, you know, in, in every regard. I like this a lot. How'd you feel about it? Yeah, I like I like this because, um, well, I mean, this is obviously what we listen, what, what we li like the most. Sure. Well, certainly what I like the most anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, we know that. We fucking know that, right? Right. This delivered more enjoyment in 36 seconds. Mm-hmm than ancient necromancy did in five minutes and 26 minutes yeah for sure five minutes and 26 seconds right yeah yeah like i don't know that just had me smiling more yeah i i felt like it was i felt like 36 seconds transferred as much information to me mm -hmm. with that first track yeah as five minutes and 26 seconds transferred to me yeah i agree it was like it was like um it was like a compressed file just exploding in my head suddenly. Right, yeah, that's the strength of this form. Right, right. Yeah. right. And and unlike, uh, unlike uh, what is it, MH... MH Chaos. MH Chaos. Yeah. No pretense. Right. This guy sounded like a fucking wimp. Yep. Sounded like a true fucking wimp and a nerd. Yeah. Writing jangly fucking, you know, 30-year-old hardcore. Right, yes. Right, by himself. Mm-hmm. No pretense. He's just uh, whining and crying about the police and whatever else. Sure. Right from his, uh, I'm going to make some sweeping characterizations here just about hardcore in general. Right. Right from his white suburban station. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I will say uh, Mississippi is largely not suburban. You know what I mean. My mom is from Mississippi. I spent a lot of time down there. It's not very suburban. You know what I mean. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. So, you know, it's just... Uh, it it I, I don't know it doesn't it be, that 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 lack of pretense and that it feels so much more genuine yeah even if it is just aping something right sure um yeah it just was catcher I liked it better I'm not buying that mm -hmm. I see so here's the thing I'm taking a stand now <laughs> yeah I think you you've taken this stand before yeah but I I fell off the wagon a couple times right <laughs> yeah 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 I I think that we need to make a collective push for form, more meat on those bones. 
I agree. And I look. And I, the, only, the only way it's going to change is if we start boycotting shit like this. I, and as the, much as I like it, as much as I like it, I'm not going to fucking patronize you if you're giving me two minutes and 36 sec- seconds or whatever it is on a fucking tape. And you're going to, tr- you know, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, hey, I'm all for like the artist getting paid for their work. Yeah. But um, give me some fucking work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I personally have, I, I, as I've, you know, cop to on the show before. Um, I've contributed to this, you know. I put out my home recorded solo, solo hardcore demo that was like two and a half minutes of music on a tape. Um, I my the power violence band that I play in. Yeah, so I'm saying we like, did the same thing. So. Gotta, I'm, it's 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 a trend that has to fucking end because it's getting reduced reduced to an absurd level. Yeah, I, right? I agree. Because at this point now, I mean, I. I might as well hang on to the fucking wrapper from the fucking Halloween candy I eat. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right, just for the moment, memento. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that's all this is, right? Right. You know, and, and um, man, I have so many, I have so many of these little guys. I, I would, I really prefer my physical formats to be more than a token, right? I, yeah. I don't want a hardcore NFT. <laughs> right. I want, I want, a, I want something I can right. put in my tape player and have it play for 10 minutes and, at least. And, and, you know? and, right. Right. And, and not have to like, you know, yeah. get ready with the next tape in hand before I round the corner. For sure. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. So I'm not going to buy this. Okay. Um, and, uh, I urge anybody else to, um, <laughs> Just just buy the fucking digital one. Uh-huh. Just buy the digital one. So as to not encourage this type of behavior. Give them your money. They deserve your fucking money, but don't sure. encourage this behavior, right? right? Give them four bucks for the digital. You know what? I'll do that right now. Check this out, <laughs> right? I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to be doing that anyway because I'm going to pay them to put this on the, you know, to put it on the show, so... Yeah, I'm going to do it personally. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. There okay. it is. Digital album. I've never... I, I This... Yeah. Almost is anathema to me. Buying a digital album? Buying yeah. a digital version, right? But you believe in this, so this I'm principle. Going, so I'm going to totally. I'm going to, you know, show my support. Right. Right? And uh it's a, there's no minimum, but I'm gonna do four bucks, right? Right. I'm gonna show my support, but at the same time. At the same time, <laughs> I am not going to waste the vital, precious, limited resources that this planet has to provide us with. Right. To get to get me that fucking tape, <laughs> right? Yeah. So here we go. Four bucks. Check out with PayPal. Come on. You goddamn right. You recognize me in this device because I fucking use you all the goddamn time. Right. Here we go. Processing. And uh, we're clear. Excellent. Thank you. Your purchase is now in your digital collection, right? Well, Whatever that means. You got my four bucks. I enjoyed it. Um. No thanks on the fucking tape. Well, it's very affirming to me to know that I'm doing this podcast with a man of strong principle. There you go. So it's part of my, it's part of, I'm, I'm basically what I'm doing is this is like the warm up before my big turnaround come New Year's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're going to lean really hard into like total, total stoicism, right? You're going to be a new man. Mm-hmm. Um, so real quick, before we transition to uh, calls, Something just came across the came across my desk oh, as it we were. got breaking news. <laughs> Is it good news or bad news? Um, 
it's neither. It's neutral, right? It's not really news per se. But Skyler, my my Travis Scott killed more. (laughs) He has not. There's no more blood on Travis Scott's hands as of this moment, anyway. No, my my good friend Skyler, who plays in Who Decides and Highway Sniper and, and various other bands. He sent me this little snippet that, you know, both of us, I think, have even mentioned on the show before that. The uh, <laughs> Next up, we got Where It Went, which uh, I was provided uh, no context for. <laughs> so apologies to Where It Went. Uh, if it wasn't 2 a.m., I would uh, do uh, more due diligence on this, but the fact that it was provided to me uh, I'm sure means that this podcast is excellent. Yeah, here's a here's a little tidbit for you right now, Greg, because it involves Zach. At our release party we did for a wool box set, which uh-huh. is the album that I'm on. Um, we did it in LA at a club called Dragonfly, and we're uh Dave Grohl was in town, right? And one time, uh, do you know that band The Obsessed? Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, because okay, their so, their major label album came out around the same time. Uh oh, yeah, they were ki- they were killing it at that point, right? So um that's a great uh, their bass player at that point was Guy Pinhouse from France and he was uh in the Scream family, like deep in the Scream family. He'd done a couple tours filling in for Skeeter when he was AWOL. And so he knew the Scream set and Dave Roll was in town. So what we had planned for everyone, a surprise was during the wool set, there was gonna be a Scream mini set. So a Scream reunion mini set with Dave Roll on drums and Guy on bass. And because that was happening and Zach was there, I pulled Zach aside. And remember, Scream's one of Zach's favorite bands. So I pulled Zach aside and I go, dude, human behavior. You got to sing co-lead vocals with Pete on that song. And he was like, oh, dude, I'm scared. <laughs> oh, dude, he got all nervous. He started shaking shit. He's like, dude, I can't do it. I'm like, yeah, you can. Fucking nut up, dude, and do this. It's going to be awesome. And, and I took a, took a minute to talk him into it. And then he finally goes, all right, fuck you, man. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And we got all, we got each other all super pumped. And then there's video of it too. Fucking video exists of it. So Zach D gets up and that feedback starts. Franz does that killer feedback. And Zach does the intro. I look in mirrors and I look in your eyes. Oh man. <laughs> I look for the answers, but I still don't understand why. And it was so fucking rad. And Zach just went berserk because he was singing with his hero, dude. This is like, <laughs> this is like Christmas for me. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, that's why I want to tell you the story. I, I did. I did see there was footage of um, you in wool at like MTV, but I can't yeah. find it anymore. You were you were getting interviewed, <laughs> yeah. and then oh, while I have you about, about wool. Did those dudes know like chain of strength and inside out? Like, is that how they tapped you? Or did you just try out through like a mutual friend? Like, yo, try out for this band, Pete Moffat's, you know, out or whatever. I try, you know that, you know, that, uh, stoner rock band Nebula. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you know, and you know, Fu Manchu. Yep. Yeah, of course. Okay. So, Hill and, uh, uh, 
um, I'm spacing on his name right now, but he played bass for uh, Mark Absher. He played bass for uh, um, pre-Fu Manchu was this band called Virulence that was like super blast, uh, Little Brothers. Yeah, you know? Southern Lord, I, I think, s- uh, put out a reissue of their stuff. Right, right. Yep. So he played in that band and he played in Nebula, right? And he was super good friends with Justice League. So I, I was just moved to LA um, and uh, I was at a show and he came up to me. He's like, hey, dude, what's up? Yeah. Hey, um, Wool uh, kicked out their drummer, Pete Moffat. I'm like, what? That guy rules. He goes, yeah, they had to kick him out. So um, yeah, they're, they're doing tryouts and shit. You should try out for him. I'm like, rad. Okay, cool. And then I kind of spaced and didn't really pursue it. And then Mark from Justice League, like a month later, saw me at a show. And Mark, uh, Mark Maxi. Yeah, Mark Maxi. Oh yeah, bit of Mark, online Bidipo. friend of mine. Yeah. Yep, bit of Mark and Justice League. So he uh, he goes, hey, uh, uh, I heard Mark told you you're about wool. Didn't you go try out? I go, nah. I kind of spaced on. He goes, dude, you're totally blowing it. They still haven't found a drummer, and they've tried out like a million drummers. You should go try out. I'm like, um, okay. And so I took it a little more seriously at that point and uh, got the number from Mark Absher. Cold called them, you know, and they said, yeah, come up to the house. We want to interview you and stuff. And so I got up to the house and I said, uh, they go, so what are you into? I go, well, I'm into the damned and MC5. And they're like, all right, we need to practice. (laughs) So So I went and tried out for them and, uh, we did a whole series of tryouts and they're still trying out all these dudes. Like the guy who ends up in uh, Eagles of death metal got rejected. The guy, Kelly Scott from failure got rejected. You know, that band failure. Oh, yeah. I fucking love they're, failure. They're, yeah. They're kind of like Los Angeles's quicksand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That guy, that guy fucking rules and they rejected him. And so I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, I guess I beat out 30 drummers and they finally got me. Wow. Wow. So you're yep. on the box set album, and Correct. are you on anything and, else? And everything, and everything after box. Set. So like the, that unreleased thing that came because I'm looking for box set on on vinyl. I'm messaging someone on Discogs as we speak to see yep. if it's any that's, pictures. That's all me. That's um, all me too. Because I love that record, but like I mean, right. Scream, Scream is like Pete Stahl is one of my biggest vocal influences for uh, like yeah. singing hardcore because he's just the best, and I loved you know Goat Snake well, and all Pete, that. Pete's Pete Stahl's the fucking Sam Cooke of hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. He just has this sweet, sweet voice and just enough grit to it to be, to be power, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, and that's he another is, band that I just think all-time death singers. is yeah. just a, a group of super talented people getting together. Like Skeeter's an amazing bass player. Oh, yeah. Uh, Franz is an incredible guitar player. Kent Stacks was a great drummer. Then they replaced him with Dave Grohl, who's a great right. drummer. Kent Stacks fucking rules, man. He was coming with all those, all those roles that were like swing roles, you know, it just was like making the song swing, you know? And, uh, Ken had told me like, yeah, dude, after, uh, still screaming came out all of a sudden minor threat, uh, had to up their game and get a little more classic rock. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, oh, man. all that Jeff Nelson drumming all of a sudden had all these weird swing rolls in it and stuff, and that was down to Kent Stacks. Like, Scream just had enormous impact on all the heavy hitters in DC. Yeah, I know they they seem like Scream. It seemed like the West Coast people are more into Scream. Like Uniform Choice, I know we're super influenced oh, by them. Yeah, you, worship. You know, yeah. you guys and uh, 
they it, it feels like they don't get as much love here and they should and uh, i hope to get well, they, to see them they they uh yeah, still play yeah it's weird they don't get the kind of love they should as a classic hardcore band it's yeah. totally bizarre you know that that first album's 18 songs and every one of them's a total fucking catchy classic you know oh yeah and this side off straight 18 fucking songs it could have been two albums you know? yeah well thank you for indulging me in that i needed to <laughs> Next up, we've got In Search of Tracks. Uh, that's Bob and Pete, Bob of uh, Axe to Grind fame. And they uh, basically examine albums to see, uh, to answer the, the only real question at the end of the day. You know, we can get into all sorts of different shit about uh, lore of records and all that bullshit, but the, the real question is does it have tracks? Hey, this is In Search of Tracks podcast. Uh, I'm one of the hosts, Pete. I'm the other of the hosts, Bob. <laughs> Hi, other host, Bob. Hey, hey. Um, people might know you from Axe to Grind. People probably don't know me, um, but we're here on the Axe to Grind Thanksgiving special. So thanks for having us. Thank you, Bob. Um, You're welcome. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Tom. Um, so... Typically, I think on these things, they give, uh, you know, about 15 minutes for a clip of an episode. Um, typically, what we do every week is we pick an album, um, either an album we're familiar with or something we've never listened to, and we deep dive it. Um, it's a lot of fun. We give it ratings. We, you know, discuss the ins and outs of what we may, might like, might dislike about it, um, why it's influential, why, you know, why it's kind of stuck in a time, whatever it might be, depending on the album. Um but being that we don't have an hour here, we just wanted to, you know, give you a little taste of what we talk about every week. So we have a few questions for for one another. Yeah, I'm with it. Um, and we're kind of like we're, we're giving ourselves like a shot clock. So we're going to just kind of go back and forth. Um, Pete was more organized than I was, which is super fun. And uh, let's just let's just head right into it. Um, if you've never heard in search of tracks, I hope you give it a shot. We really get knee deep in the uh, in the mud with these records, and it's a lot of fun. So, uh, Pete, do you want to start us off? Sure. Go. So, over the last couple of months, we've kind of unintentionally done this deep dive on '90s grunge rock. Yes. Um, you're a fan. I'm a fan. We both are similar ages. Grew up listening to similar things, somewhat. Mm-hmm. After doing the deep dive and revisiting a lot of this stuff that you hadn't listened to in a while, okay, I want you to rank the following bands from best to worst. Okay, okay. okay. Alice in Chains, uh huh. Soundgarden, uh huh. Pearl Jam, Nirvana. Uh-huh. So the the not politically correct, but the the Mount Rushmore of grunge as we've described. Correct. Um, <sighs> Now you're you're asking me best to worst, so try to be objective here, not like my personal list. Um, personally, I put Pearl Jam at the top, but but it's largely their long tail of a career. Um, so I I will sub that out. Let me let me give you my best, not not fully objective, but you know as close yeah. as I can get. Yeah, I guess okay. I'm thinking I'm, I'm I'm thinking like like if if only the classic records exist. 
Yes. Okay. And you know what? We didn't do a Nirvana record yet. All right. Um, no, we haven't. All what right. is it? It's like the 30 year for Nevermind now. So, hey. Yeah, all right. Then we got a reason. Um, We're overdue. I'm going to say best to worst. Jesus. All right. Based on the records we did, which were 10, Dirt, and Super Unknown. Yep. Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. Wow. You? I think I would do the same. I know, and I surprised myself a little bit on that because I am a tremendous Soundgarden and Pearl Jam fan. Um, and I, I obviously, I got a lot of love for Alice in Chains and Nirvana too, but um, based on the records we did, it's hard. It's hard to argue. I think Alice in Chains has such a unique sound in the you know grunge umbrella, which we've we tore apart. It's it's so hard. It's just this blanket label that people use but when you actually think about it those four bands as we listed alice and chain soundgarden pearl jam nirvana sonically are pretty far apart pretty you know? far apart yeah so, um yeah all right um you're you're with me on that anything else on that one no just that i in the course of doing these episodes i found out that i really like alice and chains and i like pearl jam more than i imagined yeah Yo, i was and shocked I, by I how much you like pearl jam i don't like soundgarden that much so here we are. Um, before In Search of Tracks, this podcast was called It Came from New Jersey. Yep. I, for whatever reasons, we've really picked up a lot of momentum with In Search of Tracks. Thank you, people who listen. Um, but I also really liked what we were doing there. If someone were to listen to one episode of It Came from New Jersey and they ha- haven't checked it out, it's on the same feed, what episode would that be? Uh, I have a few favorites, um, but I think ultimately I would probably lead people to, I think it's the last episode we did as it came from New Jersey, um, which was the Lifetime Hello Bastards um, episode. Yeah, that was a really good episode. That was a really, really fun one. And uh, we did it with friend of the pod, Matt Molnar, um, who contributed a lot to the conversation. And yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun to revisit that one. That was a ton of fun. Although... um, E-Town Concrete, The Renaissance, when we discussed that record, um, it completely <laughs> fucked up my Spotify feed for weeks. Yeah, you, you deserve that fucking yeah. <laughs> um, All right, uh, give, me, give me your number two real quick. Number two, saves the day through being cool. Nice, shout out. All right, uh, your turn. Okay, so Bob, do the Mars Volta have any tracks? None, zero. <laughs> Next question. Um, <laughs> Pete, what um, <clears throat> what is the last food you've eaten that you found outside? Last food I've eaten that I found outside? Yeah. I mean, do like food trucks count? I mean, did you find it? If you found it, yeah. I, mean, sure. I guess I found a food truck. I mean, typically I'm not eating food that I find on the ground. Well, foraging too. Like, did, have you eaten a berry? Have you, you know? I did not go apple picking this season. So that would have counted. Okay. So no apple picking. Um, Any berries? No berries. No, I'm not eating wild berries like that. I ate beach plums from uh, Sandy Hook State Park. Not, I mean, a couple years ago now, but they were really good. Wow. Interesting. I'm at Sandy Hook all the time. I have not had any of those. Yeah, get them late summer. Okay. Late summer, early fall. September is a good time for it. 
I don't know. I'm going. So you with, don't have an answer. I'm, I'm going with food truck that I found unintentionally. Okay, what's the food truck? What'd you get? Um, I think I got an empanada. Okay, was it good? Yeah, it's all right. It's fine. How many stars? I'm not a fan of food trucks. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> oh, two, we're gonna unpack that sometime. Two, two stars. Two stars. All right. All right. Your turn. Um, we've covered a lot of albums, Bob. Um, yes. What is an album that we covered that you were way too nice about that you regret being so generous to? Uh, Mars Volta. Fair enough. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Killing Joke. Um, no, you know what? Killing Joke. The is it their 2003 album? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was too nice about that. But but I mean, so that's part of the thing is that when you do these kind of deep dives, you want to spend time looking for what you enjoy on something um, and not just like shitting on it relentlessly, which which I can do in a 15 minute segment here, you know, and like piss on it. But yeah. like even the Mars Volta, I tried to give an even hand and, and you look at and you try to listen to it. What what is the value? Because there's people who love, love it, whose musical opinion I really, really respect. I'm one of them. Yes, you are. You 100% are. So um, now I was too nice on the killing joke. Let me think also. Let's see. Do, do, do. Um, no, it's it's. <sighs> People maybe took. People might have thought I was too hard on the Boston album because I have friends who were like, "Yo, it's a great record." I'm like, "I know, I love it. I, I suggested <laughs> it." You know, um, mm, 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 the uh, no, I think I think that's that's the one. Um, Fair enough. That's the one. Yeah. I'm trying uh, to find you- something redeeming. That's all you can do. Yeah. So, all right. Um, We've been doing this podcast for about a year and change now, maybe a little no, about a year and change. Shout out, um, maybe a year and a half. Wow, has doing yeah. this podcast changed the way you listen to music at large? Because you're a pretty big listener. That's why this works so well. The thing I like about the podcast is that it forces me to listen to records in this thorough kind of sit down headphones way. There were five albums that I wanted to listen to last week, and you know, in the normal course of your day, you don't have time to just sit down and listen to five albums like and do the right. deep dive on it. So so what this podcast does and for me is that it makes me kind of take the time to sit down and listen to a thing um, in this way that I kind of hadn't for a long time. So it's it's yeah. it's kind of revitalizing in that way. So I in, in that I guess in that respect, I like listening to music more now because if I'm not giving a record the time it deserves or if I just can feel that I'm not in the mood to digest it at the moment, I'll just step away from it and then like kind of put it on the back burner for later. I used to just like put on a a record one, two songs in. I'm like, ah, there's a lot of hype around this band, but I don't really, I I don't get it, you know, and I wouldn't go back to it. Whereas now it's like, maybe it's my mood. Maybe I'm just really not giving it the full listen. So, so yeah, I don't know. I, I like listening to music more now than ever. So that's exciting. Yo, well put, and actually made me change the way I've been thinking about it because doing this has reminded me of how much a record can change. Uh, and we've talked about it a bunch by depending on your mood, time, and interest, how you're listening to it, where you're listening to it. But also from first listen to second listen to third listen, there can be a dramatic shift in what you enjoy or don't enjoy about a record. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I think we got time for a couple more. What do you got? Okay, so we have a lot of albums on the docket for the future. Okay. Um, 
of those albums, what are you most excited to talk about? Um, man, there's a couple that are coming up that I'm curious about for really different reasons. So, um, well, let's put it this way. We're doing Into Another, and I'm very curious because it's something I'm super familiar with and I have no idea how you feel about. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a Lemonheads, Lemonheads record that I'm largely unfamiliar with. So cool. excited to do that. How about you on that? That'll be fun. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what you have to see about the say about the Lemonheads record. Um I'm very curious to talk about into another. I'm really excited to talk about Steely Dan. Um, but I'm also excited to talk about Brian Eno because I I'm a huge Eno fan and I have no idea what you think about Brian Eno. Yeah, low key, I think we're doing a little wave of 70s music coming up, so that's fun. Um I think this might be my last question for you. What are the five records that you came out last week? when we're recording this somewhat in advance of the podcast that you are interested in checking out. Yeah. The new idols album. I'm really excited about, um, the new Courtney Barnett. I'm going to listen to, um, the band suffocation just put out a live record. I'm excited about, Mm. um, what else? Damon Albarn from blur just put out a solo album that I'm excited about. And I don't know, maybe I'll listen to that Taylor Swift red, Redux. Yo, you were just trying to hide that. You're burying that. You're burying that. Oh, yo, I, I feel bad for Jake Gyllenhaal. All right. Um, yo, I'm not li- gonna lie. That yeah. fucking. Have you heard Silk Sonic? That Bruno Mars project. No. I know it is not cool to say. It's uh, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pock. It's called uh, okay. Silk Sonic. It's yeah, fucking yeah. good. Fuck the haters. It's good. All right. Yo, uh, in search of tracks. I hope everybody gives a chance to check us out. Mm, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Find us on social tracks pod and yeah, find us. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, this is a little time. Uh, this is uh, Mike and Diego. Uh, these are both comedians who uh, also really like ceremony. Uh, but uh, when I say they're comedians, it's not like when I say like, oh, Eric and I have a, like a comedy-ish podcast. Like these dudes get paid for it. People like them. They travel and they're they're notable, you know, uh, and uh, they're very funny men. Welcome to a little time podcast. Oh it's my me, fucking Diego Lopez. God. That's Micah Brucey. Hi, I'm Micah Brucey. We love you. I'm so hard for you. <laughs> Just, we do this podcast rock hard the I'm, entire time. I'm rock hard or I'll kill myself. <laughs> if my dick can't get hard, uh-huh. there's no reason to live. I will lay down on the tracks and say goodbye to this world if, if I can't get 100% hard. If I can't get a Cialis IV, <laughs> I'll lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> I need it all the time. I need it. Just to be- <laughs> <laughs> Give me it. Um, Sometimes it gets stuck in the closing train door. There you go. I go. Oh, sorry about that. I'm just fully hard. <laughs> oh my god, I'm really sorry about that. My rock hard penis is in the way. Hey, once my again. eyes are up here. Don't look at my rock hey, hard penis looking, on the train. Hey, stop looking at my rock hard penis. Yeah, on the I probably train. should be wearing silk pants on the train. Yeah, the I'm rubbing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking rubbing it. What am I not gonna rub it? Oh, if you didn't get, if you got a, if you got a bump on your head, would you not rub it? You'd rub it, idiot. You would rub it. Don't you son of a bitch. Talk, Don't get those handcuffs Don't off me. Don't fucking talk to me like that. I'll scream. I'll lose Obvious. my I'll do lose my sc- fucking shit. Do you want a screaming guy with an erection on the train? Dude, Back not off. again. <laughs> <laughs> not Never. another one. Never again.
Um, I yeah. say, okay, so. Okay, it's, so. Yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to go. I was also, I felt like I also needed to get into we're the episode. We're doing together. With you. No, we're doing yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm supporting you're, you. We're, and I support you so much. I support you. It's a late Financially. night. Financially. We're doing a, you fucking way. Yeah, a late night up. Okay. So late, dude. 9 so p.m. So fucking late for a podcast. So <laughs> we're not, not that late do, for a podcast. It's late for a podcast. I feel good. energy drinks. Okay, but. You didn't say that. You kept <laughs> interrupting me. Well, you said so late for a podcast, and then you kept saying different words. <laughs> so it's late for a podcast that uh, a, a crutch of it is is trying and reviewing energy drinks. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a step back yes. into one of our first, ste- uh, one of our first uh, attempts at internet fame. Uh, by doing I would say our first. Our first, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Snack Boys on a Little Time Podcast. Oh so that's my what we're gonna God. Do. And you're like, hey, what did you guys, what are you guys going to Snack Boys? And if, well, hey, first of all, hey, first don't of talk all, don't talking. Shut the fuck up. Shut Diego is talking. This is a listening I, only. Why are you talking to a podcast? Idiot. Are you mentally ill? Idiot. I'm still dragging <laughs> We're not your cock. friends. <laughs> you fucking idiot. I'm not your friend. I'm your enemy. So, <laughs> <laughs> the Snack Boys was a web series where Mike and I tried and reviewed vegan snacks. And no. Nobody watched 14, it. 50 people fucking loved it. They won't stop asking us to bring it back. So now we're going to yeah, bring dude. it back on the podcast. And oh probably not going to be a smart idea because you can't see it. No. But when you can listen to us. Use your imagination. And you, you know what people idiot. love on a podcast? Eating. Hearing people Chewing. eating. <laughs> <laughs> Chewing and salivating. So what we're going to mm-hmm. try tonight are the impossible chicken nuggets. Should we take shifts? We'll take shifts. Okay. I'm going to go to sleep right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm on the graveyard shift because I'm, I'm gothic. <laughs> I'm a little Robert God. Smith-ass bitch. Dude, is anything more upsetting than when an adult is like, I'm goth? It's like, go to fucking night school Shut or up, something. Idiot. Shut Get, up. Learn a trade, Get a job. You fucking dumbass. Oh, my God. Why don't you learn how to weld instead or something? Howard. How oh, nice is your life? I'm goth. What? <laughs> I'm violent. <laughs> I'm mentally ill. So, do you want to try first or do you want me to try first? I you think feel? since you bought them, you should try them first. I did pay for them, so I'm going to try them first. I got low, I got, I'm very low on sauce, just a heads up. Oh. I'm going to do a naked taste test by itself. Okay. How would you say you prepared this? In the oven? In the oven. In our oven. In our shared oven oh, that sucks. God, it's a really bad oven. But well, at least the rest of our apartment's also not very good. True. Okay, I did a naked bite. Now I'm gonna do a bite yeah. with a little bit of the, the okay. chipotle aioli. Chipotle, chipotle aioli. Yeah. How are you feel? I mean, what do you, I don't? I haven't eat. I haven't eaten it. Um, I think I think it'd be funny if I legally changed my name to Metal World Peace. And then when uh, somebody asked me, like, oh, like, we're on a test, I'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, I actually have no idea what you mean. I thought of this phrase in my brain. Whom? Okay. Rob Artest? I don't know who that is. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not interested in rap music. And you're like, oh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't say anything with that. No. That sounds bad. Um, okay. I took my two bites. I'm going to wait for Mike to finish his two mm-hmm. bites. So I, I, I took my naked. Mike, Mike took his naked. it up. Now sauce it up. a little sauce. Um... Impossible is a meat, a fake vegan meat company that made burgers that were very, very uh, innovative. And Groundbreaking. Groundbreaking, I'll say. Um, and now they're going into the chicken realm. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your okay. stance? Not bad. Yeah, not bad. I don't think they're phenomenal. They're not blowing me away. They're not blowing me away. It has a consistency that's a little bit, not as chewy as I would like. I much prefer the... Um, 
Nug ones. The nug ones are top shelf. Those are insane. The dude. Those are, are those one. are McDonald's chicken nuggets. Those taste not the spicy ones. The regular ones feel like the McDonald's chicken nuggets because they have that batter kind that, of cover. Yeah, that's the, smooth. The spicy ones have like more of a like bread this, crummy like a bread texture, crummy, which isn't bad. But this feels like a really good Tyson's chicken nugget. Yeah, it feels like a really good normal chicken nugget. Yeah, for regular people chicken nugget. Is I'm it like, more expensive than other chicken nuggets? I think so. This package was like ten ninety nine. Not crazy yeah. different. But way more than like Boca Chicken Nuggets, which I think, which to me seem like comparable. No, I, 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 I would like to taste test these against, we should do that. Oh. Taste test these against some other chicken nugget. Yeah. But. Sorry for that. That being said, I do like it. I like it. I like it quite a bit. I like it, but it's not blowing me away in the way that the Impossible Burger blew me away. Dude. The first time I had the Impossible Burger was with you. I remember it so vividly. Yeah. I had it with you at the Bear Burger in Long Island City. Yeah. It was the first place that I knew had them. I was, I think I was dog sitting in Long Island City and we like met up to, I don't mm-hmm. know, because we're like codependent. And it's not that we're codependent, it's that we're both dependent on each other very much. Exactly. So. Emotionally. Emotionally and physically. Hi, Chuck. Um, but yeah, I remember being so freaked out when they're like, how do you want the burger cooked? I was like, yeah. I don't know, hot? <laughs> Warm enough for hot, me to eat? Hot as, it, as hot as it can be without it being burnt, yeah. I guess. Um, let's rate these. Yeah. Uh, what are we hmm. doing? One to ten? Let's stick to one to five. Okay. I'm going to say 3.75. Yeah, I'm going to go in that realm too. Which feels makes, low. I know, it does feel low. I like them, but, but four not... I feel like would be like, oh, whoa. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what's. Can I give it? A, I'm going to give it a three point nine nine. Oh, okay. That's it's not a four. It's not a four. It's not a it's four. It's not a four. It's not a four, but three point seven five seems low. Yeah. You know, to, for me, because I do like these and I would purchase these. But not bad. Let me see though. I'm also very hungry right now. I just got back from the gym. I'm right? not not hungry. Mm. I ate lunch at lunchtime. I'd say about nine hours ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I will say this: mm. sauce is doing a lot. It's good sauce. You get a chipotle aioli from uh, Follow Your Heart. Yeah. And you just add a little bit of water and you fucking whip it up. Yeah, it's dude. a good dipping sauce. It's really good. That's all you need. Yeah. Oh man. Um. What do you got? One more each? Okay. Let's just, yeah. Let's just pop these down. Let's just pop these down. We're going to pop these yeah, down. Yeah, man. Ooh, I think here's the good thing, though. Uh-huh. I think places that carry the Impossible Burger, like fast food places, are also going to start carrying this. That's great. And that's huge. Imagine huge. you go to Burger King and get these. That's going to make my fucking dick hard. Again. And then I go and bring my own bun, make a sandwich <laughs> out of it. Yeah. Because that's what I actually... Notoriously, you love a Burger King chicken sandwich. I just love any chicken sandwich, but That's especially true. That's true. a Burger King long chicken sandwich. That's right, man. Because. I like the wide one. I just I'm hold so it sorry. Side. I just hold it sideways without knowing that it's long. You put it like when. when yeah, yeah, yeah. In a cartoon, someone puts like a, I don't even know what they would put in their mouth. A big sandwich. A big sandwich, yeah. And it makes their cheeks stretch out really long. Yeah, man. But here's the, here's the thing. I love that. Burger King long chicken sandwich never... Um, disappointed me. Hmm. Burger King. Do you remember when the the tender crisp sandwich came out? No, I don't. They had the whole um commercial with Hootie from Hootie and the Blowfish doing like a cart uh, a country thing. Okay. He was doing like a country song about the tender crisp bacon cheddar ranch, 
And I was like, chicken, love it. Yeah. Bacon, unbelievable. Big fan. Cheddar, I like cheese. That's cheese. Ranch. One of my favorite white sauces. A great dressing. Mm -hmm. And then I got it, and I was so sick afterwards. No shit. Like, it was the first, okay, this is, I was in high school, I think, when that came out. And this thing was the first time I ever ate anything. I was like, I got diarrhea from the food I ate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the first that's a time. Funny moment. The in first your life. time you're like, oh, food can betray you. Absolutely. <laughs> I used to love oh, food. You fucking son of a bitch. Now I gotta think of it. Like you know, there's like a point in time where you're like, oh, I have to think. Now I have to think about this yeah, for yeah, the yeah. rest of my life. Who's making it? Where's it coming from? Yeah, not like I'm thinking about that one specific sandwich, but like the, the idea of food making you sick. Yeah. Like now I'm like. Ugh. I, now I'm like, if I'm going to do anything physical after I've got to not eat for six hours beforehand or something. Uh, just to be safe. Just to be safe so I don't get sick. Yeah. So the Impossible Chicken Nuggets, not good. too bad. Okay. Pretty good. The, can I have a sip of your soda pop? You can have a sip of my soda pop. God, buddy. nothing would make me feel better. There you go, brother. God. Oh, nice and cold. Dude, nice and cold in a glass with a metal straw so it makes it even colder on the way up. Awesome. Thank you so uh-huh. much. Oh, man. Unbelievable. So, first of Coke all, Zero, fucking 500 out of five. Fucking <laughs> okay, Jesus Greatest Christ. thing of all, of all time. I love it so much. Uh, okay, to finish out, we got Overnight Drive. Uh, this is Hans, formerly of End of a Year, and Andrew of Self-Defense Family, uh, who are just like aged out fucking hipster losers. I'm Dr. Lindsay Doe, clinical sexologist and host of this sex curious show, Sexplanations. Today I want to talk about phone sex, but first I want to let you know that this is really emotional for me. Really emotional. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. How to have phone sex on YouTube. Check it out. Wow. I should watch that. I'm really bad at phone sex. Andrew, okay, so wait, let's talk about phone sex for a minute. All right. So Andrew, let's pretend. That we're gonna about to have phone sex. Okay. What would you? What do you say? Like, what's your move? So well, like, that's why I'm bad at it. I have no idea. It's the same. No. The same way that I no, can't no, no. do improv with you. Okay. Hey. Okay. So let's pretend like, oh, um, we're lovers. All it's right. It's fine. It's established. Hey, buddy. What's up? Hi. Hey. Oh my god. Like I'm so. I'm like I don't know what it is, but I've been thinking about you like all day. I'm like, I am <laughs> really. I'm like wicked in the mood. But, like, I hate that I can't see you right now. Um, you wearing the jeans I like? Um, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Which I ones love, do you like? I don't know. Uh, I love all of them. They make you look so good. I only have one pair. What I want you to do is, uh, you do me a favor. I don't know. Hold on. Let me, I have to pause forensic files. Yeah, I want you to do that. You can do me a favor, buddy. I want you to take your cock out. Oh, Jesus. I'm going to take mine out. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way I would get to this point. No chance. I I would say, like, no. No. No? Yeah, like, no, we're not doing that. Okay, then fine. All right. Oh, you can just listen. I've got my cock out. It's in my hand right now. It's It's in my hand right now, and it's getting hard. Yeah. Thinking about you. I'm thinking about that first night we fucked. Cool, like... All right. For real, though, what would you say? I would never get to this point. Really? Seriously, I would not. So you don't, when you have phone sex, you don't, like, the person on the other, but when you did, the person on the other end, we gotta, if you don't start delivering the goods, I'm gonna ask Craig. (laughs) 
Okay, <laughs> uh, Craig, look, don't ask me. Yeah, no, no. Um, oh, Craig. Oh, interesting. Maybe Craig wow. should. Maybe you should ask Craig that you'll know, dog you. You know, he's a guy who used to travel a lot. You know, the wife, the wife's at home. He's okay, there. swelled up. Yeah. Big old thing swelled up there. But let's pretend. I want to do an improv class with you. Hey, uh, buddy. Hey, Andrew. You know, I'm really, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm really thinking about you, like, a lot. And uh, thinking about that one night. I mean, there's been so many nights, but especially, like, the other night before we left. I'm in I'm in Minneapolis right now in your your home, and I know you're well. And we've just had a talk about how you're doing. And God, I just wish I was there. Uh, <laughs> so you're like Andrew. Let's pretend we're having phone sex. That's the most awkward phone sex. Yo, I really wish. I'm actively not even in the bit. I'm actively in my real life, going in my head like, how do I get out of this one? Like, how the fuck do I extricate myself from this situation? Fine. You want me to make a girl voice? Will that make you more comfortable? No, certainly not. Maybe the child voice. Can you do the do the? Hi, Uncle Andrew. Hi, hug. Uh, Mr. Hurley said I was okay to call you about phone sex. What is phone sex? Uh, I know I'm on the phone, but what sex? Sex, sex, sex. Do you have a boner right now? No, I don't. I don't think it's possible for me to have an erection when I'm on the phone. Why not? It's awful. You got a boner right now? I didn't want, like, maybe FaceTime. But like that's hey, do fa- even do that's FaceTime? not like do I don't think I could get off like mm. doing FaceTime with somebody. He's stroking your cock right now. No, I'm not. I'm watching. Why are you stonewalling me, bro? I'm just trying to get my nut. The funny thing is, this is how it would go in real life, and I would get into yeah. a fight with whatever woman I was dating. Cause I'm like, I don't want to do this. Like, what is your fucking deal? Like, what are you a fucking a lunatic? Just rub one out and be done with it. Oh yeah! Oh, I, yeah! I, the fact that I want you makes me a lunatic. Yeah. Well, yes, wow. in, in a, a few ways, yes. No, but, I'm I'm pretending that we're in a relationship. Yeah. That's right now. Th- then now this feels true to life. Yeah. Andrew, All right. Fine. Whatever. Like hang up and Andrew, then. What are we? What are we doing right now? Oh yeah. I know you miss me. I know you miss my body. Mm. We don't have to be. We don't have to pretend. I really need you to think about me stroking my cock right now. No. The fantasy starts with me masturbating <laughs> and you catch me. <laughs> it's true. Can you imagine? Do you want to do you want to FaceTime? No. No. You, you know what? I'm actually I'm at work and there's like a bunch of people here and uh yeah, yeah no. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, we work late do you tonight. Go on Instagram live with mm. me. I don't care who sees. Do you want to are you watching the forensic files? Well, we're all watching Forensic Files. We're in the break room watching Forensic Are Files. You, uh, yeah, you want to maybe escape to the bathroom and show me your cock? Uh, you know, I'm p- it's pretty busy in here. I'm trying to get some mileage off that cock. I got a lot yeah. of, I got a lot of, you know, work to do. Yeah, like what? Uh, like a lot of forms. I want to think about you filling out those forms. Yeah. Ugh. Oh God, I'm about to come. You want to listen to me come? Uh, I hold on. Wait, oh, hello? Oh fuck yeah. This is where I, I, oh, I fuck yeah. I, I, Put Craig on the phone. It's I. Oh yeah. It, I, oh, it, I came real good for you, baby. 
and I hang up. Uh, hey, Andrew, what's up? Wow, well, what's going Sorry, on? Sorry, I just had a whole thing. I got yeah, the, was, you know how I get into a head? That was a fugue state. Like, yeah, well, you know, I get hot. I get hot, and then I'm like, it's like volunteer firefighting. It's like I find them hot and leave them wet. <laughs> what are you going to do, right? God damn. I would love... <laughs> I love that you're so standoffish. Dude, yeah. No. Love is so standoffish about phone sex. My no, God. No, we're, discovering, no we're discovering so much about you. No Andrew. good. I love it. All right. That's, that's uh, your Thanksgiving uh, buffet, if you will. That's the way I should have said it at the beginning. It's a buffet. It's a fucking sampler plate buffet thing. Um, very grateful to have another year with everybody. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Axe to Grind, and thank you very much uh, for giving uh, these podcasts a shot. Hope that you are uh, safe and happy uh, driving uh, to family or if uh, or posting online about how much you hate fucking Thanksgiving. Either one, uh, happy to have you in the fold. Uh, be well until next year.